Welcome back to We Want More, the Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality Analysis podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Zuber. I'm Brian Deacon. Hi, everybody. Hey, Brian. Hi. Oh, before we dive into it, I have a quick announcement. This comes out on the 31st, which means that entries are closed for the fan art contest. And I have apologies to make to three people who I didn't actually get confirmation if they wanted me to name them or not. But it turns out three people actually had sent in stuff last week when I told everyone they sucked for not sending anything in. So everyone except for those three people sucked. And you you three know who you are because I emailed you. And we got some clever... uh, like emergency art sent in one of those <laughs> titled like you should have known this would happen when you threatened to do evil stuff with the money <laughs> <laughs> so nice. polling for that will be available when this episode airs on the 31st and it is no longer restricted to patrons i will include a link in the show notes and like i said you do not have to be a patron of anywhere to uh vote i think you might still have to have an account on patreon but I should have double-checked all that before getting started we here. Just, uh, we can amalgamate all of the votes. Is that the right that's word? That's true. I don't even think that's the right word. I'll double-check. And, you know, if I have to do, like, a survey monkey and something else, then we can, whatever, combine them can or something. But in any case... quite vulnerable to voter fraud. If you, It really will be. But if you want to <laughs> if you want to check out... We'll figure some... some Not nearly as vulnerable it. as it all is to bribery and flattery. That's right. So. Anyway... Check the show notes to see how to vote. Voting will be open for a week, and the and the winner will be announced. I guess winners will be announced uh, the episode after this one. So looking forward to it. I've seen a lot of the art come in, and some of it is very awesome. Some of it is very clever, and I am. I mean, I'm, that's not just besmirching any of it. A lot of it's awesome. So um, I keep saying a lot. Everything's perfect. You guys are wonderful. And I look forward to seeing all the stuff that comes in over the next week because we record on Tuesdays. So I've got six more days of awesome shit to look forward to. And then everyone gets to see it. I'm now reminded of that. Uh, I think it was a David Cross skit where he's like recording. He, it's a call-in show, but recorded a week early. So he tells people to call in about the thing that happened the week about that's going to happen the next week. <laughs> and he gets all frustrated every time people call in to talk about the thing he was talking about the week before. Or let someone call him like, man, can you believe that's fairly predictable from there? <laughs> All right, so let's see, Brian. We did a nice little fun chapter, hedonic awareness. Well, fun and funny, and then the less fun and funny time pressure chapters. I know. How did you feel about off. this week's reading? Uh, this, this, I, yes, I did have opinions. Um, this is very cool, and there's like a lot going on here. Um, yeah, so there's the like, like okay, Harry's back to being like a nice person again, so that's always nice. Uh, but the, and then besides just all kind of the action-packed adventures of '88 and '89, um, it seems also I think even in '87 that Yudkowsky decided that '87 was the chapter that he just decided to stop being coy and be like, okay, yeah, like Quarles Voldemort and probably Harry is too. It was sort of like the, like, okay, contest is over. Anybody that hasn't figured it out now, I'm going to just hand well, it to you. Where does, where does it say anything about Harry or Quirrell being Voldemort? Uh, I guess we'll kind of get into it. I'm not sure if I, I may not have pulled the quotes because it wasn't super. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there sorry, is a fun line where. I've got a Hermione. dark side that definitely isn't a child. That was one of the lines. So, oh, okay, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's sort of, I mean, yeah, no, he doesn't like come out and say it for like, you know, you know, it's, it's not enough to convict him in a court of law, but. Um, <laughs> But it's pretty pretty much there. And then the really cool thing, uh, and I want to double check when we 
when we talk about it towards the end is that we get into uh, Coral's head, and I'm pretty sure it's the first time we've done that. Um, uh, so I that think cool. you're right. Yeah. The only other time, no, yeah, that was uh, from Reader Skeeter's point of view. That wasn't from yeah. uh, Coral's. Yeah, I think you're right. This is the first yeah. Coral POV. Yeah, I think we had, we had, we sort of like maybe had his POV, but like we didn't get to like hear any of his thoughts, and this time we definitely do. So it was like, hmm. Yeah, no, the Skeeter one was from Skeeter's point of view. Yeah. I can't think of another Coral uh, POV yeah, we've I don't had. Think we have, so. no. Yeah, that's a good point. Yes. I know, so it's pretty good. Cool. Yeah, so this is. Uh, and he clearly thinks, Mwahaha, I'm Voldemort. Mwahaha. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, I'll like, tell you when we get there. Uh, <laughs> What I was thinking. Um, what you were thinking the first time you read it or what you were thinking this yeah, time the, around? Yeah, the first time I read uh, it. Like, it, it's not, it doesn't, you know, settle this non-debate about whether Quirrell is Voldemort to say that at this point, I wasn't convinced. You weren't convinced um, it was Voldemort. But at least, like, that, So at that's, point, that's not to say I ever became convinced. I, I could, you know, you could still be wrong. I'm but at least at this, at this point, point, like, everybody at this point is now totally, because even McGonagall has figured out that all the fuckery is at Quirrell's feet. Regardless, like, he, whatever he his name is, says, is he Voldemort? Sorry, defense yeah. professor. All right, well, we're getting ahead of ourselves, <laughs> Mr. Deacon. Let us start right, with the, the part that isn't the hardest uh, part of the book for me. Um, I like how you called it cool and action-packed. For me, I listen to those chapters once a year if I feel like I need a good cry. <laughs> um, it's in, did you happen to listen to the audiobook? I did actually this time around. This one, I think or, maybe last time was like, it, it's, it is still entirely a, a fact that Inuyasha's voice just completely yanks me out, out of the moment. So I had to go back and read it again afterwards. I think maybe last, because la, like about the second half of last week's reading, I also listened to, and I think maybe there was just a lot less of Inuyasha in it. So it, it wasn't as bad. It was pretty cool. Yeah, the, a lot of voices and, and the, I like the cool like the clock effect thing. I mean, it's always every time I listen to it, I'm like, the you know, like music this is that. like really well done, and it's too bad I can't get over whose voice it is. Yeah, I think it does. Uh, like, it it goes well beyond the scope of like this is me. This is a person reading a book to um, like a full audio yeah. production. Yeah, right? it's really well done. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, because there was like the troll scream. Yeah, was, yeah. I mean, yes, it's quite well done. Quite well done. Anybody else that doesn't know Inuyash should totally listen to it all the time. <laughs> Even those of us that do can still enjoy it. I guess so. It's just, it's funny because then talking to him, it sounds like you're talking to Harry Potter. So. See, no, I guess, I guess maybe because I like knew Inuyash for long enough beforehand that no, it's just like, oh, Harry Potter sounds just like Inuyash. No, no, I totally got your back. It's no yeah. big deal. I am glad you listened to this because, like I said, this is one of the ones where, well done, yeah. like, I was going to like try and enforce it because the, <laughs> in, in in eighty nine, like I said, it has great voice acting, great sound effects, great like ambiance, uh, music. There were a lot of fucking voices everything. Too. There were like what six or seven different voices in these couple chapters, I think. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we start on Thursday, April twenty sixth, nineteen ninety two. Which I'm glad I didn't gloss over the date because I always do. I hope the uh, uh, I hope the dates and times aren't super significant because I just couldn't be bothered to pay attention. Thank goodness they're not. All we get, all we get from this is that it's nearing. I'm not sure when the like the school year ends. It's like the last. It's like the first week of June, I think, in uh, canon. Sure. All this is telling us is that it's approaching the last quarter of the school year or something. Thank God. Yeah. If there's some riddle to be deciphered from the dates, I have not puzzled it out. So. Like I'll I'll just hire somebody to do that for me. Right. <laughs> I'm sure Reddit will have done it for free. There you go. 
All right, so we get a Hermione point of view. She ever this is the uh, what Easter break. That's maybe the other reason it gave us the date. Um, so most everyone uh, is home for Easter, except for the Weasleys, who for reasons that make zero sense are too poor to feed their children, and like a couple of others, right? Mm-hmm. Was it? So I guess it is. Although, well, I guess so because Ginny Weasley's not a character yet in these books so it is it's ron and because we do see ron we, we see ron be not completely useless which was um grudgingly okay with we see ron be every bit the hero that he was in the no, first at the end of the first no. harry potter we're, we're book. seeing we're seeing ron be granted like half heroic status like <laughs> still, still i don't know dying. well i i i think he gets the time to shine in this one but i, I think also especially he was, here oh yeah and notably so are the weasley twins yes. Lizzie Twins are badass. Now, maybe it was the uh, prejudicial way it was voiced in the book, but uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because yeah, Ron, Ron in the book sounds pretty special needs. So I'm <laughs> I, still kind of bitter. I think that's a harsh way of putting it, but he does sound like... Doesn't sound like the smartest character in the chapter. He talks kind of like this. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, yeah. he talks like you're trying to make fun of him, which, yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> so... Um, I thought this was kind of just a funny beat that Hermione isn't allowed to go home uh, because, you know, shit is intense with her life and that they just lied to her parents and told her that she had some magical ailments. So I like that. they're Um, So they're going to lie to her and her parents are both muggles and they're going to lie to her and say that she's sick. And they lie and say that she has some like made up bloody, you know, some magic-y, flu-y thing rather than like, oh, she's got, you know, the cold or... Hermione has mono, and she's in our. You know, Hermione's. What was it? I can't. I didn't uh, pull it out, but it's some like made up. Glowpox. Yeah, glow. Yeah. Exactly. Might might be real. Might not be. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's true. They could just be like, yeah, whatever. This is memory charm land. They could just you know after the fact come in and give them a memory of having had a lovely Easter break with their daughter. Hey, all right. That, that brings daughter. up actually. I think I brought this up somewhere in the past, but I don't think I did on the show. Do you remember at the end of the seventh book or at the beginning? It comes out that she memory charmed her parents to forget her so yeah. that they couldn't be used as blackmail against her. Yeah. How fucking little sense does that make? If little bit, I mean, yeah, it's kind of... Uh. So, like, the idea is that they couldn't capture her parents and use them as blackmail to get her to, like, whatever, come out of hiding. Mm-hmm. I would come out to rescue my parents whether they remembered me or not. I think, well, I guess I took it as more like, uh, you know, then they knew absolutely nothing about her, so they wouldn't be, I guess not so much like, oh, they couldn't be used against me, but that they can't be, they're no longer valuable as a source of information about me. And she wasn't, like, a high, you know, a high-value enough target to, like, make it go, you know, to try to, you know, use hostages in order to get to her. No, true. Okay. I'm just but thinking, yeah. like, no, I, she could have just I, lied about where she was going I, and accomplished exactly the same I, effect, I right? I hear your point. I hear your point. I'll be, yes, I'll be in Australia. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, so um, Hermione's hanging out. Where, if you had to place bets on where Hermione would be, the library. At the bar. <laughs> the bar. Come on. She's at her favorite place, she's, her sanctuary, the library. She's picking up men. All right. Let's get real <laughs> here. These are serious chapters. Ser- These are serious, serious chapters. Yeah, and some, I'm trying to because we we have not ever gotten. Oh, and I guess I'll just go out like I'll just like stick my flag down right now. This is not the end of Hermione. She dies at the end of these chapters. Spoiler. Um, it sounds like she's you know straight up dead, but we're we're not done with Hermione. If Yudkowsky was going to kill Hermione now, she would have said something much more important by now. So this is not the last piece of dialogue we will ever get from Hermione. Quoth Brian Deacon. 
Um, so maybe that's why I'm not as broken up about it. Huh. But, uh, yeah. I um, I mean, I think that in... I, I guess you're right, because she's like an important named character. I was going to say, like, you know, people die and they don't... Like, that's oh, part yeah, of no, the tragedy no. of it. Like, you don't get, like, the chance to have your last line I mean, yeah, it, would, be, it right? would sort of be like a very kind of like a George Martin kind of death, but it doesn't feel... I, I mean, so, yes, I could be wrong, but I'm just saying, like, my, my sense of, like, how Yukowski likes to deal with characters is that... And, and I'm not even, like, giving, like, Hermione permanent plot armor. Like, maybe she dies at the end of this, but I'm just saying, like, if, we were, if Hermione isn't going to survive to the end of this story, this isn't how I think Yukowski would write her out. She would have... Like the the whole her relationship with Harry, although it actually did get like moved to you know, like a, yet another step. Like that's not I I just don't get the feeling like Yudkowsky is done with what he wanted to say with Hermione. That's so it's not based on anything like at all in the plot. I'm just like, yeah, I just don't think that I think this story is going to have more of her in it. So, well, I love your optimism. There you go. I wouldn't call it optimism. I don't know. But yeah, it is kind of, I guess, like, I was, just, I was sort of, because what was the other thing I called? Oh, yeah, we also get to see um, transferring somebody's brain into, I think Harry did acid instead of, what did I say, like mustard or pudding or something? Jello. Well, I'm, like, yeah. I'm like, oh, I totally call that. I'm awesome. Yep. Um, Good call. So, uh, so yeah, that's me. That's my call there. It's not, not the end of, a, of Hermione. I think. Although, oh, yeah, but that's what I said. But, like, yeah, because I was remembering, what did I say? There was going to be, like, a big misdirection thing. Maybe Hermione's the misdirection. Either that or, I guess, the all this. Or maybe this stuff with the troll and Quirrell is, the, I don't know. We're, I think we're still semi-up for the big, like, no, this would fooled you uh, thing. But think, David Monroe could be the, mid, mid, the big, big misdirection. Thing. Yeah, or it could be because, oh, like, this troll star, or maybe Hermione. I don't know. feels like we're we, I guess, like, maybe it's already happened. We just haven't had the aha moment to to resolve whatever that is but but yeah this this whole like Hermione's dead thing definitely feels like like the fourth act like oh now you're down in the depths of despair before the final battle like this is now we're in the like Empire Strikes Back Luke lost his hand portion of the plot so I really I really dug these chapters it's cool awesome well let's keep getting into it so Hermione's sitting there reading and uh a shadow fell wherever she was reading, and she whirls around where her wand was hidden on her lap to point it directly at the surprised face of, Sorry, said Harry. Everybody's very trigger-happy these last few chapters. Well, I mean, yeah, she's that's what that's why I read that thing, is because, I mean, she's uh, she's very on guard, mm-hmm. which kind of makes sense. You know, um, she's been through a lot, but it, it was interesting that, you know, her, again, just first thing, hey, back yeah. up, I got a gun. <laughs> yeah, and we, like, we've, we've, sort of come back to Hermione a couple times but really like we have never like fully been in like you know full on Hermione mode and now she's dead so who knows but like we've only sort of ever gotten these like intermittent peaks back at a thoroughly altered fucked up Hermione and that's kind of again what she is here like she hasn't yeah, we been got like, her fully herself when she was in the hospital room like but she was still recovering from yeah. the trauma yeah and it's and it sort of felt like the same here she's still just like thoroughly fucked up. I mean she's starting to kind of I wouldn't say pull herself together, but like she's starting to have like, you know, measured emotional reactions to what she's been through. But like, we haven't seen her kind of be herself again yet. So, yeah. I, until she comes I think back she's, as Gandalf she's... the White. <laughs> did you watch the pitch meeting for, uh, um, uh, I think I did. Two Towers? Uh, no, not for Two Towers, no. Oh, so yeah. There, there's a wonderful YouTube series called Pitch Meetings that's on the uh, Screen Rant channel. It's tough. And. Though. 
it's he he did a he just finished the series on the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and when he put out the first one, it prompted me and my wife to to watch the extended editions of all the movies. Oh wow! Yeah, it was. I mean, we watched over the course of a couple of weeks. We didn't sit down and watch any of them at once in one sitting. I mean, but anyway, that was fun. And uh, there's a Gandalf the White joke in there somewhere, of course. Somewhere. Back to the book. Let's see. We have um, like basically Harry comes up and she's kind of feeling bad because she apparently hasn't talked to him really at all since like the courtroom yeah. and or i guess maybe the scene after in the hallway when he says like we don't have to talk about it she's yeah. been kind of avoiding him because she felt bad and harry's and then, been like giving her space and but she's then not sure as you know she's not sure if maybe it's just because oh harry hates her now because she's in this total like self-loathing mode yeah the audiobook does a great job of capturing because it's like you know a lot of these paragraphs are like one giant run-on sentence and it's it just yeah. like feels like what a a panic thought feels like um so uh i liked harry he's like i was gonna give you more space only i was reading reading up on critch's theory about hedonics and how to train your inner pigeon (laughs) and how small immediate positive and negative negative feedbacks secretly control most of what we actually do and it occurred to me you might be avoiding me or avoiding avoiding me because seeing me made you think of things that felt like negative associations and i really didn't want to let that run any longer without doing something about it so basically his plan is to give her a a piece of chocolate every time he sees her yeah i got a hold of a bag of chocolates from the weasley twins and i'm going to give you one every time you see me as a positive reinforcement if that's all right with you i thought that was that was the quote i pulled i thought that was like super adorable it was like it also made me think so because it's it was like this very charming but like thoroughly dorky like hi i'm an 11 year old kid with like really (laughs) shitty people skills but you're important to me and this is the best i can do and i hope that's enough and it's like and so like the total like vibe from is yes that's totally like you cannot do hi i care about you i want to help you there's no amount of awkward that doesn't make it okay um so it's really cute yeah and the best part of that line too is if that's all right with you yeah and yeah, like he, he even checks it's like hey this is where i'm kind of freaking out from but if it's okay with you i'm gonna try and fix it um it's very sweet yeah. and i try to make an effort to check on whether or not the science cited is real or not or rather replicated or not it was quote real at the time of the writing of the book and i didn't get a chance to uh check on hedonic awareness here i'm assuming there's something to it um i i see it referenced once in a while in other like modern circles so some some core of this is probably accurate that you can like reward yourself with positive little things when you accomplish a task and that'll positively positively reinforce your brain to enjoy accomplishing little tasks so anyway that's the science digression um they're just staring at each other and the books are staring at them and oh yeah (laughs) yeah they just do their whole like kind of silence their whole like just kind of like like the way they bond, they're like, oh, we're nerds. And they like do that, you know, the nerd bonding. The whole thing's very cute because it's sort of very like, like unpretentious. Um, and sort of yeah. just like that kind of like naked enthusiasm for just, you know, learning stuff. Because it's very sort of sincere. Yeah, I, I love it so much. And, you know, Harry's trying to break the awkwardness just by like, you're supposed to eat the chocolate. He said, holding yeah. out the heart shaped sweet like a Valentine. <laughs> and he's like, just here, be, like, given a chocolate like, makes you feel good enough. Yeah. Yeah. And he like gives it to me. He's like, no, now eat these. Yeah. It's so, it's so like, like very sort of like mechanical. Yeah. It's only, <laughs> yeah, the extent, like, the amount that it sort of like shows how kind of just inept and like emotionally illiterate he is just sort of like makes it like sort of more charming that like it just like strips it away to just sort of like the raw sincerity of what he's like, you're important to me. I have no idea what I'm doing, 
but I read some shit and here's some chocolate. <laughs> oh, so yeah, it makes it all very kind of raw and sweet. If that's not friendship, I don't know what is. So then, he, then, then they get into what she's reading about, and she's reading like books on how to become rich, which is just <laughs> delightfully heartwarming. And uh, again, he, and this is again him being like the most compassionately understanding person ever. Um, she's saying, "I suppose you tell me I don't need to worry about it, and you'll take care of it, take care of it all." And he's just like, "Nah, I can put myself in your shoes well enough to know that if you paid a bunch of money to save me, I'd be trying to pay it back." And yeah, like there's just kind of always the like Harry's just operating on the not I wouldn't say, like not unquite the unquestionable assumption that like well of course we're equals and that's what you would do and it's almost like he's not even necessarily even trying to reassure her about it. it's like well yeah of course you would do the same thing as I would and and I know you would and kind of like a and just kind of a assumption in the way he talks and of course you are good enough to do this yeah um, it's awesome yeah. He even gives her like the official clearance. Be like, tell you what, I'll let you tackle this until the end of you know this. Yeah. I don't have to pay until I graduate. So if you can solve the problem before then, dope. Because um, like they they have this sort of back and forth about whether or not like she can be trusted with a heroic task mm-hmm. or not. And he's like, hey, you know what? That's fine. Go for it. Um, I do like this because you actually called this out. Um, he asked like what the most promising lead was, and it's the Philosopher's Stone made by Nicholas Flamel. And let's see, quote, which enables the transmutation of base metals into gold or silver, as well as dot, 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 the elixir of life, which indefinitely prolongs the youth and health of the user. Um, Hermione, this seems obviously fake. <laughs> obviously fake. <laughs> and what I like about that, well, then his reasoning was uh, like, why, why the hell would the same thing that makes gold also make the fountain of youth? I thought Hermione came back with a good point, which was basically just that, like, it's no more ridiculous than Wingardium Leviosa. Like, that's also silly and ridiculous and not to be believed. Totally. And in fact, but then, you know, the the fact is Wingardium Leviosa actually does work. But what's funny is when we talked about the Philosopher's Stone a few weeks ago, and we were comparing it to the Resurrection Stone, and I had mentioned, yeah, the Philosopher's Stone makes gold and makes you uh is like the fountain of youth you're like well that's obviously bullshit why would those two things go together <laughs> you had the exact same objection that harry has i think because it was sort of like in the like dark ages when that idea came up like those were the two like those are the two top goals for scientists all right we need to make more gold and we need to live forever that's like if if you could only, if you only had two wishes from the genie those would be the two things you would wish for and those are still and therefore kind of they would have to be more money more so, life more money more uh, but yeah, and so then we get, this was, I think this was my first, and I think uh, in my notes, I'm like, okay, so are we just saying this now? Um, the the context of it is that Hermione's like, oh, you know, I can't do, you know, you're the boy who lived, you can do impossible things whenever you want. Um, and so Harry's basically just telling her like this, you know, the deck is stacked entirely in my favor. And it's not like so much a reflection of my awesomeness as just my role as the boy who lived. Um, and so what he says is, I've got a dark side that definitely isn't a child, and who knows what other crazy magical stuff going on in my head. Professor Quirrell claimed that I become whoever I believe I am. That's all cheating, don't you see, Hermione? There's an arrangement that the school administration made that I'm not supposed to talk about so that the boy who lived could have more time to study every day. I'm cheating, and you're still beating me in charms class. So it's like, so the point, like Harry did not say all that, uh, from, from Harry's perspective, he was not saying all that to, uh, do a bunch of exposition on the plot. 
Um, like he's just telling Hermione, he's like, I've got all of this like unfair advantage and you're still like the only person that's keeping up with me. Um, so of course you're capable of doing any of these things. But like the reason I pulled that, it was like, we're just, okay, I guess we're just laying it all out there. Just for anybody that was wondering up until this point, uh, Harry's dark side is definitely more than just this passing idea. We mentioned it's important to the plot. It's not a child. Um, and what other crazy, other crazy magical stuff going on in my head. Um, so it was just like, it was just kind of like drawing a circle around it and underlining it in red like, <laughs> for those just tuning in. Something's going on. Harry is not Harry. Um, I, I can dig it. Um, before he says that there's this funny line where um, like, so he, he's explaining why he still doubts the philosopher's stone as a thing. He's like, well, the whole country is to be trying to make it. She's like, well, no, the recipe is here on the next page. It's just <laughs> that it's so hard that only Flamel has done it. And then it's like, well, then countries should be dedicating resources to make this happen. Or like, at the very least, Professor Quirrell would have kidnapped Flamel and made him make another one. Like, there's no way people would just hear about immortality and just ignore it. It's just but sort then, of like when, when Harry talks, because like the two people in the book that talk like this are Harry and Quirrell. Uh, we're like, well, isn't it obvious people should just blah, 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 because um, nobody's smart enough to realize this thing that's, uh, you know, passingly obvious to me. Um, that it kind of reminds me of just when people like, there ought to be the law that blah, 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 and they'll just kind of like toss out like a simplistic sounding answer to a complicated problem. Um, well, I think it's to, like one of those things like he's talking about it like in the general context of like a get rich quick scheme yeah. where like if your friend messages you on Facebook and says, hey, I've got this great small business. All you need to do is buy in for $200 and you can be your own boss and make $3,000 a month. Like you're comfortable just telling them like, I don't believe you. Sorry. Um, like I like if it was that easy to make an additional $3,000 a month working 10 hours a week, everyone would be doing it by now. Yeah. Like there is no low hanging fruit when it comes to like free, easy money. Yeah. And so like that, that's, I, I like that. But then there's this, uh, this funny line that Hermione came back with and I wanted to, to call out cause it's hilarious. She says, uh, so that wouldn't stop you. You do impossible things all the time. I thought you done something impossible in the last week and you didn't bother <laughs> telling anyone. There was a slight pause, which if Miss Granger had known was exactly the length of pause you'd make if you'd fought Mad-Eye Moody and won exactly eight days earlier. <laughs> seven well, days no not seven yeah days. not in the last seven days <laughs> seven days technically correct so um let's see yeah he, he explains that like you know and that his whole thing there of his of him laying out all the all the stuff like he said that is calling attention to the things that make him weird he brings it up in the context of saying look i got all this weird shit and you're fucking crushing me yeah like you're super badass hermione like the the idea that like people shouldn't believe in you is insane if, like if, and this is exactly kind of the this is the the concern that she had when she wanted to be a heroine when just talking to Professor McGonagall and Dumbledore about like being swept up in Harry's shadow yeah. that like because she's here with Harry like instead of being like this badass witch she's Harry's rival and Harry is expressing that exact same thought to her he's like if it wasn't for you know you going to school with the boy who lived you would just be the most famous witch who went to the school in the century yeah I like how um, like Harry's and it's like this kind of constant in the whole book, like Harry's interaction with Hermione is always just a really like consistent, like, but like there's, so there's, it's like the opposite, like his, uh, the way he interacts with Quirrell and the way he interacts with Hermione, like his interactions with Hermione are always just like, so, you know, right on and humane and humble and, you know, empathetic. And so I like, well, he'll, there'll be this like back and forth tug between, um, 
like when he like drifts off into Quirrell land and then comes back to Hermione and that it's, I like these moments where it's like, I mean, it's both like kind of lets us reground on like, okay, like we've all been sort of been getting like gaslit by, you know, how does Harry act and, and the people around him be like, oh no, this is like a, yes, the way you thought that like regular nice people act with each other is still true. And also, yes, this, you know, Harry has that in him and goes back to it. Um, and so like, you know, when he runs off, you know, being, you know, Mr. Luxury comic book guy douchebag, um, that's not like the entirety of him and that like this is still there. So we get to see these like and because it's so like kind of pure and effortless the way he interacts with her um, that there, it's not even so much like they're not like he doesn't struggle to be this person with with Hermione. That's just who he is in the same way that like he didn't like his it was kind of like we all kind of felt like a certainty around like you know, would he shell out a hundred thousand galleons to save Hermione? Of course he would. Um, so yeah, I like, and it's, it's nice to, because like, as we kind of like, you know, run off into the wilderness of, you know, Harry acting like he's the guardian of humanity and better than mere mortals. You sort of forget like, Oh, is that okay? He's like, no, okay. Bring it back. Like he's got this other person inside him too. So, and then explicitly some other person who's definitely isn't a child end quote. Um, yeah, no, I like that. And I, it's like the that's part of what I mean that's why I think these three chapters work so well together like we set up just how wonderful their dynamic is how I mean again I I say this every time Hermione comes on screen but she is the beacon of goodness and like her her concerns here are like trying to make things right and like even while dealing with the trauma of what happened to her um, I don't know. I just I love her so much, and that's what makes the next couple chapters so horribly devastating. Um, <laughs> I could I so, I don't know what it was that I didn't like. I don't think I ever bought. Like I was totally into like the drama of everything that went on, but I mean, yeah, I could totally see. Like I guess if I really thought that like oh we just fucking killed Hermione and like that's it, she's over, and let's just move on to the next thing. That yeah, I would be all broken up. I just don't buy. It, which totally doesn't take what like I'm totally digging what's going on, and I'm kind of like wondering, okay, how does this play out from here but yeah i would be all like broken up and fucked up but more my reaction is like oh this is cool where are we going with this but... i like how your your reaction is to just reject reality because <laughs> reject. it's too, too horrible no it's, no because it really it's it's i guess i have trouble articulating it but like even this like this reaction that harry has with Hermione. so i could totally see you could go away where like this is his like horribly you know sweet and horribly tragic last interaction with his best friend before she dies and that would t- i mean that would totally work as a story it would just be gut-wrenching and and horrible um it just doesn't feel like he's doing i and i i would have trouble like telling you why but i feel like whatever yudkowsky's got planned for he's just not he's not done with what he wants this interaction between harry and Hermione, this thing that we're, we're seeing right here this way that like that harry is just sort of like you know drifts back to the true north of okay this is how an empathetic you know nice human being acts he's just not done with with that and what hermione's role with that will be and i you know i couldn't tell you specifically why i just it just doesn't feel like he's done so i got there's no like no good plot reason or whatever and i couldn't tell you like how it's going to play out i definitely can't because he definitely is like she's dead dead and we see some like you know her magical soul leaving her body and dumbledore pronouncing her deadly dead dead um so i have no idea how that's going to play out but and I guess, I guess it's more, so I guess she could be dead. I guess what I'm, that character as a, you know, a thing in the story that interacts with people and has things to say, I think that we're not done with. I guess whatever I'm feeling still needs to happen 
could be done with some kind of flashbackish something. So it's not so much like, oh, this is too tragic for it to have happened. It's just like, I don't like what he's been using Hermione for. It doesn't feel like he's done with her in the story yet. So, no, I, I love that, and I and I totally hear where you're coming from. I mainly said what I said a second ago because I think just yesterday I joked to my wife that uh, um, Adam Savage line: "I reject her reality and substitute <laughs> so my own." Yes. Yes. So um, he goes on. She's like, she asks him, like, "What's is there some rational thing you do when your head when your thoughts are running in a thousand directions at once?" And he explains yeah, his cool. process, which I think I've explained. I have a similar process of like just kind of splitting the different uh, parts of like your disparaging like arguments into separate individuals, like yeah. in your head and then let them argue it out. Um, and now do you have pretty- like for you, do you have like kind of discrete personalities to those things? Cause I thought no. about it. I don't think I do. I like, I'll have like sort of like little internal fights with myself, but I, I don't think they're like as kind of, both like animated but also like as like specific as what harry describes yeah mine i don't i don't have like a a hufflepuff that i can call on like that like the way that i usually do it and it's usually just during times of like great stress where like um and and, and, you know so i guess there's two parts of it one he's like I i divide myself into these parts but then i have like my simulated copies of my friends i do have those um in, in much the same way that Harry does. But the way I do it for myself kind of sounds more insane than when Harry describes it. I picture, like, just multiple copies of me um, sitting in the, like, the council chamber that they have in High Hrothgar in Skyrim. And, like, if one part of me just, like, is screaming and needs to be heard, the rest of me will, like, I just imagine, like, looking at that one and letting them get it out and then talking about it. It sounds insane, but <laughs> it I found it to be an effective... Uh, like trauma coping techniques. So um, there's a, there's a, I don't know if you'd call it a fan theory. I think, I think it's older than the concept of fan theories, but uh, about the wizard of Oz that there's really just Dorothy and Toto and everybody else is just parts of Dorothy's personality. So scarecrow and the um, cowardly lion and the tin man are all just, uh, they're also Dorothy and she's like in a fight club kind of hallucination with herself. (laughs) That had a fun twist to the movie. Yes. Um, but yeah, like this isn't a thing that I do as often as Harry does. It's more just like, okay, you know what? I need 10 minutes to sit and like think this through. Yeah. Um, yeah I guess I do. Pro- I do probably have like copies of people I know, but I, that's less of a, that's more just kind of like imagining a, you know, a hypothetical, but you know, theoretically possible conversation that would happen. Not so much like a, Oh, I've got my, you know, internal Jedi council. Exactly. Like, what would my friend say about yeah. this? And you can kind of ask your friend without texting them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's more like, okay, how do, how could I possibly justify this to my family? <laughs> and then you're trying to like, you're like, oh, I don't buy it. I guess I can't do it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm not believing this lie. They probably wouldn't either. All right. So then Hermione is briefly weirded out. Like, there's a copy of me in your head? <laughs> and he's like, of course. And then he looks kind of like upset. You mean there isn't a copy of me living in your head? And there was, she realized. Not only that, <laughs> it talked in Harry's exact voice. And she's like, it's rather unnerving that I think about it. I do have a copy of you living in my head. It's talking to me right now, using your voice, arguing how this is perfectly normal. <laughs> I like, and then Harry says, like, yeah, I don't think, I don't see how we could be friends if you didn't do that. I think that makes sense. I think I had this realization in, like, junior high. I was talking with somebody back when, like, instant messenger was a thing. <laughs> and we were both having, like, struggles at school. 
And I told her at some point, I was like, you know, I'm at the point kind of where I can simulate talking to you without actually like setting time to talk online. And I don't know, I, I wasn't half as coherent 20 years ago as I am now, but, um, and you hear how incoherent I am now. I was hopeless back then. So, um, <laughs> uh, anyway. Someday when uh, you're able to collect your thoughts, um, you should be able to, you should do something like a podcast. Yeah. I wonder what a collected pod or like a collected Steven doing a podcast would even sound like. I don't, I don't think the world's ready for it. No, I don't think it would get any listeners. Yeah, that's, that's for like, sure. Where are the tangents? God damn it. We don't come here because of the content. We come here to listen to the bizarre bullshit ramblings we about have, empanadas. We haven't, and... we haven't talked about van living. What? <laughs> R slash van living is tight. <laughs> I have a coworker who did that, actually. Bought a van oh, to see, put together. We are so and, good at this. As far as know, I'm, I'm, rel- I'm like 90% certain that you and I have never discussed anything even remotely similar to van living until I pulled those two random fucking words out of my mouth. I'm I, I, I'm pretty sure you're right. There was a guy at my boot camp, my coding boot camp that I went to that uh, lived in Hawaii. And like, rather than rent a place, even though he could, because he had a military stipend, he just bought like a $2,000 Honda Plymouth van and lived out of that for whatever, 19 weeks. And because I'd had experience of like spending, you know, 14 hours a day in my car, I was able to explain to him like, here, he, here's how you survive the heat. Here's how you survive the cold. And he just made his van his home it was kind of no, i think he just did it more for well, it's like, hawaii the challenge. It's, there's, there's no surviving nothing it's hawaii man it just you just need something soft and horizontal well you wait, what was that you, if it's hawaii there's you know that's like the perfect conditions it's not too cold. oh no that, that's where hot. he lived the boot camp was here in denver oh, oh. yeah from from july through the end that's of november opposite. Oh, so he got gross. he got all the seasons like, i guess so yeah I, okay so sleeping in a car in august in denver doesn't sound like fun no it's a nightmare sweet i just totally read that that was a legit digression on random thought i picked for the sake of how random it was this is what people come here for brian they've all read the story (laughs) they're reading it now they just they don't need to hear us talk about that about random shit stay for the tangents (laughs) okay back to what people come here for um she hermione notices that uh, she like, and she's leaning away from Harry as she says this, and she realizes it. Harry, you said there's a copy of Draco Malfoy in your head. Does that mean you're friends with Draco Malfoy? And he's like, uh, yeah, no. I was. Uh, how would I put this? I was corrupting him, you know, tempting him to the light side of the force. And I like how that's you it. know, like he, she's the only other person at the school that he could call it that, and she would know what he was talking about. Right. You know, like the Emperor and Darth Vader, <laughs> only in reverse. Only in reverse. <laughs> um. And then they have this. I thought now I that we're saying it again, back and forth. Yeah, and as she's about, you know, she turns into like, you know, jealous girlfriend thing. Um, well, and that, horrified like, that he's hanging out with a Nazi. Yeah, also true. Um, that, but like right before that, because it like struck me as sort of weird and creepy, like uh, as they did it, but then it made sense that she notices that his breath smells like banana pudding, which was this sort of like weird, like like romantic, like not romantic but remind you that like oh that is a romantic thing like oh how does their breath smell in this like oddly specific but not gross way but not also not like awesome it was just sort of like odd but it like set it up as sort of it it kind of made the um because now they get into this like Hermione realizes she's starting to act like the jealous girlfriend thing and it kind of like sets the tone for how like off that whole dynamic would be between them if, if that were there 
like so it's not like oh she smelled the shampoo in his hair or she smelled the banana pudding on his breath from breakfast an hour <laughs> earlier but it was but which is kind of a cool odd because it's not like oh she could smell like his nasty morning breath or something like that it's, it's this like weirdly sort of awkward not gross but also not cool smell and like personal but not yeah it was just kind of there was a, this weirdly specific kind of little effect dropped in there yeah, no, I think that that's a, a good poll. It, I didn't, it didn't actually jump out to me like that, but you're right. It, it adds a not necessarily romantic intimacy to their conversation. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, and it's sort of like, it's like, uh, it is a miss at the intimacy. It's like, shows you like, okay, here's the thing that we definitely aren't. <laughs> right. And then they, of course, they get to that explicitly too. But I like this, the, the short version of like, you know, Hermione's horrified that he would be friends with Draco because Draco said all this horrible shit, which we're privy to. Um, and Harry's explained, like, look, Draco was raised by Death Eaters. Like, it would have taken supernatural intervention for him to have the same moral- your morality given his environment. And I-, I love Hermione and where she's coming from here, too. She says, no, that's- nobody has to tell you that hurting people is wrong. It's not something you do or don't because the teacher says it's not allowed. It's, you know, it's because when you see people hurting you know it's it's wrong. Like, you know that, Harry, right? That's not like a rule people follow for, the, like, the rules of algebra. If you can see it, if you can feel it in here, then you just, then you just, if you can't feel it in there, then you just don't have it. And then Harry, and Harry like, knows, like very, she touches her chest the way, where most people would with the, if you feel it here, and then Harry later makes sure he puts his hand on the anatomically correct place for your heart. While like also noting is, internally that it's it. only a metaphor. Then he moves it to his head, which, like, th- this is to me just, again, more of him, like, falling back on science when he's stressed. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> because he's like, oh, I didn't know this conversation was going to go here. And um, he-, he explains that, like, look, people are fucked up. Like, our, like, blessed, I guess this is 20th century morality, is a luxury of our time. Like, 300 years ago, people used to, you know, get together to go, you know, do a nice entertaining cat burning where they'd grab, you know, cats around the city. And this wasn't even like as bad as witch burning. And like, you know, we've all seen TV shows, which are obviously perfect examples of real history where, you know, it's a, it's a beheading or an execution and the, the town comes out to watch. Like they don't have TV. They don't have Netflix. They don't have their phones to play with. They're going to go watch a beheading, right? Like this was just reality. And like if you and I were placed back then, we'd be like, this is barbaric and gross. I'm staying home. Um, but you just, you don't get to pick your environment. So he's, he's trying to explain that to her. And, um, yeah, I like the ambiguity here too, because like, so Harry said all that and that totally like rings true. And I'm like on board with that, but like also with, with what Hermione said about like, you know, you don't need to be taught that hurting people is bad. You just know it. Like I, those seem to be contradictory ideas that when each stated in their own way, I'm like, yes, I agree with you. Yes, I also agree with you. I'm not supposed to be able to agree with both of those things at the same time, but I do. Um, I think Harry lays out the the exact distinction. He says that feeling that you're describing about when, you know, feeling bad when people are suffering, that's for when, that's for when your friends are hurting. Someone inside your circle of concern, like that feeling has an off switch, an off switch labeled enemy or foreigner or sometimes just stranger. And that's how people are if they don't learn otherwise. Like, I know perfectly kind people who will relish at the thought of someone hurting, right? And it's it's not it's not because they're bad people, because they're clearly not. These are like you know, people who would you know give give money to or you know help a homeless person on the street, but at the same time they could, they can wish harm on people. And it's it's the it's the benefit of growing up in with the 
you know, the philosophy foundation of, of ethics that we have, that we can say, no, no, all sentient creatures should be in our circle of concern. And like, yeah, that, that I is also, not an like, obvious I, way to think about it. I took it. Hermione saying it as like being aware of that distinction and still being like, no, there's still some part of you that knows that even like if Hermione spoke in um, rationalist jargon, it would be like even people of the out group, there is some part of you that knows it's wrong to hurt them. Um, That's because Hermione is capital G good. I know. There you go. So, but um, she, she, but yeah, for for unfortunately, I think for the baseline human, like it is possible to be a a good person who will also relish in the suffering of people that they have considered enemies. Yeah. Like, yeah, and I think you know, say, like, I think, and I think it it feels like Yudkowsky is kind of acknowledging both of them. Like he's not like trying to like discount either one, but or maybe just sort of like <laughs> aspiring to be better than that, that even, um, you know, acknowledging that like, oh, okay, you know, uh, what did I, it was, uh, kill my enemy for I hate him. Um, that, that I guess what, like, what it sounded like Hermione was saying that like, yes, that's there, but there's some, like, there's almost some like soul tax on doing that. Like there's some part of you that knows that's wrong, even when it is the, you know, quote, out group, uh, when you're, you know, killing your enemy, there's still some part of you that, that, dies when you do that um, i definitely think that it's true that some part of you dies and just maybe you're not aware of it or it's already dead yeah. like i mean i know people i don't know a lot of people because most of my friends are like in the same like <laughs> sense so like let me let me just talk from my my huge pedestal up here uh, most of my friends are the same are in the same sort of situation where they have like all sentient life in their circle of concern so they don't feel this way but i know i know people who like you know, when they had those, uh, uh, when Trump had his rallies or whatever in April or March and people got sick from COVID, like otherwise good people would say, ha, good. Um, you know, they're idiots. They deserve it. And like, that is not my reaction. My reaction is, you know, it sucks. They, they, they are, they're, they're badly informed. They're, they're in an environment that made what they, you know, you know their decision to go maskless to a crowd seem like a good idea. Like that it, to me, it's just a bummer. It's there's no, there's no joy in hearing that people that I disagree with are sick and dying, right? There's some. I mean, yeah, I, in our best moments, yeah, I think like we all do that shitty thing. Like, it's that, so I mean, yeah, I'm totally on the same page. It's like I try to be that way as much as I can, but we all have Schadenfreude. I I think that's that's the right way to put it. I try to be that way as often as I can. And it, it's almost all the time. I remember like hearing that Mitch McConnell broke his wrist or his shoulder like last year or something. And I was like, ha. Um, and even if like, but, even but, if it's but like within some, a minute, yeah. I felt bad. And Maybe even within a second, because like they're both true at the same time, even if you like can bring yourself like to be in the nice place of like, okay, I'm not going to take joy in the suffering of others. There's still some part of you that did, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. even if you catch the, it like right in the moment, there's still like, you know, some, you, you would feel worse about it being, you know, a cute little kitten that broke their uh, paw than Mitch McConnell. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I think the goal is to to try and, you know, uh, quiet the voice that enjoys your enemy's yeah. suffering. And especially if you're the person who can sit there and relish in it for days, you're clearly doing something wrong, if yeah. I can be so bold. Um, yeah, and I think, like, at least for me, the big one is, like, don't, like, don't pretend that I don't do that. Like, I, I, don't, I don't help my cause at all in not doing that by you know, trying to tell myself that I'm not doing it. I actually don't like, I mean, if, if I learned that, I don't know who's again, it's hard not to pick political examples. Like it would be, 
hilariously ironic and like cosmic justice if Trump got COVID and died, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like part of me would say, this is delightful, that dude had it coming. But the better part of me, the part that I recognize is better, would say, I wish that he had a chance to become a better person before he died. Yeah, like, not that, and hopefully like if we you know, get it right. Like the, the totality of where we land is hopefully what we would shoot for, but that like acknowledging that even, even though you know that like, okay, that's not cool to think that acknowledging that, that, that is really there. There is some part of all of us that whatever it is. So like that, yes, some, there's no level of sadistic awful that could happen to Trump or whatever, but or even Biden, though, if yeah, you want to play that, it fair, yeah. I don't want to turn off our, yeah, our right. <laughs> yeah, listeners. Ours, yeah, all of them. Um, now, fuck those guys. I hope they break their leg. Um, but, like, like, no matter how, like, how obvious you can make it to yourself and how much you, like, acknowledge and try to, you know, do the right thing, there's still some part of you, even with the knowledge that you shouldn't do that, there's some part of me that'd be like, oh, yeah, that'd be sweet if he died. Um, even like look, being able to look at like straight in the face and go like, okay, that's wrong. Um, I guess just don't, not ever let go that like, no, I'm still doing, no matter like I can and should try to not act on that and also try to minimize it. But like to never forget that I'm never going to not do it. Uh, I just need to like be conscious of it and not let it guide my decisions. But there will always be some part of me that like when sees some shitty person have something shitty happen to them, that's going to enjoy it. Um, I just shouldn't like give my, like tell myself that it's cool, but also not tell myself that I'm not doing it anymore. Like, Oh, I've decided it's not cool. Therefore I don't do it anymore. I'm like, no, I'm still doing it. I just, you know, try not to, I'm trying to do it less, but I'm always going to do it a little bit. Trying to be a little less wrong. Hey, that's the name of the show. Um, speaking of the show, we can dive back in. I think the, the only way to close that argument is that Hermione doesn't have that impulse <laughs> no. because she, she's well, capital actually, G no, good, right? she, But also, I mean, I'm having trouble remembering that, but I, even Hermione has these sort of like moments where she's sort of like self-aware about like how she's kind of falling short of her own expectations of herself, which kind of just falls back to Hermione is like perfect in all ways, including in how she acknowledges her own imperfection. She's so perfect. <laughs> she's great. All right. All right. So basically, then then it comes down to where um, Hermione's wondering, like, why uh, Harry didn't tell her any of this, and then he's like, "Well, you know, it was wasn't my secret to tell you, and Draco would would have been at risk, and um, I made you know I made sure not to tell him what I was doing with you." And then she's like, "You were being careful," Terrible. and it's like, "Oh, well, I mean, uh, she's like, what were you really doing with Draco Malfoy?" And he's like, "Uh." probably not quite what you're thinking and then the horror scaled the horse scaled and science? scaled within her and finally broke yeah you were doing science, science with him? the s word you were supposed to be doing science with me <laughs> and harry's it's like not i like that i, think I wasn't this doing real really science metaphorical. with him <laughs> doesn't mean anything right. to me are we still talking about science i don't think we're talking about science anymore I love it. She's like, that's not okay. You can't do science with two people at once. <laughs> I, I like, think you totally can, actually. That's where he's just like, Miss Granger, this conversation has become <laughs> metaphorical on a level that's... Uh, <laughs> I think that's, it's kind of funny, this like... thing in. Yeah, as this plays out, delightfully. like, Harry starts... Like, he's like, I haven't even hit puberty. Like, I guess this means that, yes, you have. It's sort of like we spend most of this time, uh, I guess, like, for her 
people having different opinions of like how Harry plays, but like Harry never plays as an 11 year old, like even like not even remotely possibly an 11 year old to me, that doesn't like seem it's not, it's not a, a bad thing necessarily, but he's always played as like a 20 something in my head. So it was kind of this a like, prepubescent 20 something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it's just in this like alternate land of fiction. Um, but that, yeah, having, it was kind of a funny, like, you know, whiplash into like Harry, like kind of explicitly pointing at the plot and going, hi, I'm an 11 year old. I haven't hit puberty yet. And oh, you're 12. And I guess maybe I apparently have now that we're having this conversation. It just made the whole thing so like bizarre and like strange. Yeah, I guess I don't remember being prepubescent all that much, but I think crushes were a thing pre-puberty, right? Yeah. But but he's pretending like you can't even have crushes before puberty. Yeah. Uh, Well, that's when you're like, when you're emotionally stilted like Harry, maybe. And also have like a, (laughs) have a full grown psychopath in your head as well. But, well, and it's also not like four months after you hit puberty, you're suddenly capable of like romantic love, yeah. right? I'm trying to, so uh, 11 years old, doing nothing. that's like sixth grade, right? Yeah, and Hermione's 12. She's been 12 yeah. since the beginning of the and year. So, so she's been 12. So she's a little older than him and also a girl. So hitting us stuff sooner. But yeah, I, I guess, no, six, at least for me, like sixth grade was, um, I was not yet aware of the years of girls not talking to me. I had looking to look ahead to. I'd have to try and sit and remember if I can remember literally anything from sixth grade. So, yeah, I think, that. I think, yeah, I think for boys it doesn't like flip on till like twelve or thirteen. So I think, yeah, it, it feels like if, like once Harry has decided to acknowledge that he's an eleven-year-old boy, um, that yeah, that part rings totally true. That that would just like not even be something that registers for him, except yeah. for the fact that he's got a you know full-grown psychopath in his head. <laughs> but apparently, a full-grown psychopath that doesn't have the least bit of interest in sex with other anything so well and it's worth remembering too that like his mysterious dark side is like it's a it's a mode of he i think he describes it earlier as like a mode of thinking that he can kind of like lean on it's not like it's always there right yeah um it it comes out or he reaches for it so it's i think that you know the harry that we're talking with here is just the you know whatever almost an 11 year old but written to not be as boring as a real child uh kid it's not the this isn't harry's mysterious dark side talking here but i keep wanting like and like so that'll be kind of an important thing that i'll jump back to as i'm thinking about this but because i'm i keep not being sure how is this going to play out so we come like some great realization like oh harry you've been the real voldemort has been harry all along um, but I don't know what that means. Like, so, like the story has been telling me almost literal words. Harry is Voldemort, but I don't know what that means. Um, like we keep getting, you know, hints of that and pointing that way, but the specifics of it, I don't know. And one of the, like, or I guess like the two kind of competing scenarios that I keep wondering which way are we going to go with is like, is there this like, you know, inner Voldemort that, you know, the, the true Harry is able to to fight off. Um, which would sort of be kind of the more, but like, if you're going to do that, like, oh, there's, which, and that would be kind of close to the original, like, oh, there's this kind of like alien invading consciousness inside you or whatever. But my other thought, which I I don't know, it's kind of more interesting and sort of feels like a little more rationalisty is that whoever, like the real Harry Potter um, died on that you know, day when, uh, when Voldemort tried to kill him, like that Harry Potter has been the whole time. And this Harry Potter that we've been act- interacting with is 100% Voldemort has never been, there is no 
you know, some Harry, some Voldemort. This is entirely Voldemort. Um, and I guess sort of like the like the super on the nose interpretation would be like, and then through the power of rationality becomes a good person, um, which when put that way sounds lame, but would actually be kind of cool. Or just this kind of idea of like, so, you know, you are the person you try to, you know, you we are who we pretend to be, as Vonnegut said. Um, that sort of like Harry coming to this, like deciding for himself who he wants to be and that like he is Voldemort, but has decided he doesn't want to be that. Um, and then you could tie that, it would be a, kind of a really cool tie into like, because um, then it totally would be like, you know, the, these things, these rationalist ideas work for doing that too. Like, what's the kind of person I want to be? Well, let me see how that works in the universe. Let me test that theory. Is being a psychopath a good idea? Um, so I'm kicking that around. It seems like we've got, there's, as when, when Harry refers to it explicitly as this mysterious dark side, and then I think of it like the most kind of explicit was the, the scene in when he's in Azkaban and is sort of like, talking his dark side through its fear of death that sort of did make it stick out as like okay they're two separate things so i'm really not sure what where it is but there's something about the idea i guess it's kind of just a sort of like oh your reality is not what you think it is uh the idea that there there is no harry it's always been voldemort um and that you know it's not competing things it's you you the person you thought you are is not who you are um that would be a really cool idea. Although, I mean, it's, it goes back to that there's only, all stores are Blade Runner in my head. So, <laughs> Harry's a replicant. Um, I know, so that's I what, when, yeah, when he talks about, like, as, anytime he brings up, like, this mysterious dark side, or we get to see this sort of, like, anytime he brings up metaphors of, like, fractured spirits with horcruxes and, and whatever, I keep trying to wonder, like, he keeps bringing back, like, what is this relationship between Voldemort, Harry, Quirrell, like, are they separate people or has it all been Quirrell all, or all been Voldemort all along and wondering like, where are we going to go? And then like once, whichever way we are going to go with that, like, what is that going to mean? Like there's going to be kind of some underlying theme to it. Like what's the takeaway for that? And kind of curious, like how that's going to get applied. Well, anyway, I, I think that's a lot of cool stuff. I don't know much all to say on it other than, no comment. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's really cool, and I, I it was a, uh, yeah. Well, it I is at least like so. I, I think one, one of the nice things, though, so that this one thing that when Harry says, "I've got a dark side that definitely isn't a child," and who knows what other crazy magical stuff going on in my head, like at least like we can like take that as a bit. That is, those are literal words coming out of Harry's mouth that we know that like okay, that's not just some like abstracty literary theory about blah 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 like okay we don't know the specifics but there's something like that that there is something in harry's head uh magic-y and not a kid um so at least we can like establish that as we so we don't know the specifics but okay that's a real thing that's a thing you know i so when i read this book the first time i you know binged up into the point where it was at and then took a break then would reread it you know once every once in a while or something and like still up to the point where it was at before, you know, all of these answers are, are resolved. And I don't know what I was thinking. I, I can't remember what I was thinking about Harry's mysterious dark side. I definitely didn't put nearly as much thought into it as you have. That's that's really all I'm thinking about here is that like, I'm, I'm trying to remember what I thought. And I guess like, I just put it on like this list of things that I'd think about later and never got around to thinking. Well, about it. I, mean, I think like the, I think that the two big things are like, we're reading this, you know, two to three chapters per week. 
So it's like, you know, 30, 45 minutes of reading uh, per week. And then we talk about it for three hours. Um, but then I think, but like the bigger one is just that like the, how much I'm unconsciously, you know, picking up on what everybody's sort of expectations of how it, like the big one being like, oh, there's some big aha to this whole thing. So my head's always been in like, okay, there's an aha and things going on. And, and you guys get, you know, super excited anytime I like discover any little bloody blah, blah. So I think like I'm probably in way more like, kind of investigative mode then uh so there's that and then also like the slow pace that we're doing it at because i think you i mean some part of your brain would register that sentence but you just keep you know you just plow ahead with the reading and keep going yeah and i think i, you I sure shit wouldn't like, have stopped at this chapter this, this time around i would be like what the fuck is happening she's dead what right i was i was reading this in complete isolation right up until like maybe the like the somewhere in the 90s maybe the like late 90s I'll, I'll i'll be able to find where like when we start getting to those chapters where i was at like when i started like oh there's this like reddit exists and i can join the subreddit and like get on a community with it mm-hmm. um so up until that point like i was thinking about myself i was never told by the way there's mystery components in this i had noticed things um mm-hmm. and as far as like being told there's one aha they're really I, I don't know if that's the right way i would have framed it i would say that there are puzzles that are solvable it's not so much that like there is a big twist. It's not like well, you know, I think the awesome knives out thing. It's like uh, I think the hairier Voldemort is going to be the big twist. Which and by the like for me, I get like what I've liked about this hasn't. It's the fact that like I figured that out already. Oh, I could be wrong. Who knows? But like that doesn't like detract from the, from it much. Like that's not the the difficulty in figuring that out or the not having figured it out isn't really like the the interesting part of it it's just kind of a cool like watching all the characters like grow into the real, realization of everything that's happening to them is, is kind of cool totally yeah. and like you know so even like if if you're right and you got and you got the conclusion early like the author left enough clues for you to come to yeah. that conclusion so like that it, that this may very well have been intended that yes the audience is supposed to have figured this out by now well i think definitely um, like this I mean, so, I mean, I'm sure he knew that, like, not everybody was going to get it, but it seems like definitely in this chapter, because it does, it does it in several places. I think Yukowski made a conscious decision here. He's like, okay, anybody that hasn't figured it out by now, I'm going to now start hitting them over the head with it. Like, like it wasn't just, I mean, and not necessarily like, oh, this is so super obvious, but I think he definitely made a decision here to up the level of detectability of, you know, what's going on. Um yeah, he's, he clearly decided that McGonagall should be in on the joke. So, on the, on the, all this fuckery is Quirrell's fault. Oh, I'll, I'll give my thought for that, in, <laughs> that in, at the beginning of the next chapter. I think it's perfectly coherent with McGonagall so far. But we'll finish this up first. So they have this back and forth about like, well, Harry, if you saved me and it wasn't for love, what was it? And he's like, we're just really like super best friends. Like I, I, I don't have like the the wiring for love yet. And then she gets kind of you know, understandably very upset. And then he goes on to just completely ruin the conversation by saying, you know, look, uh, you know, if we, if we hit mortality, there's not really like a, a th- like a, um, a dynamic for like a traditional, you know, pairing that will last pair bonding that will last for a million years. And then that's when she runs away sobbing. Yeah. And I just read that again. It was like Harry just kind of retreating into his like Spock brain. Out of 100%. <laughs> Um, then we get this this line break and this nice little uh, breakaway of some random 
fifth year Ravenclaw, the one who was like not listening while reading. Um, and he says he didn't want to do this, but Harry Potter had been sorted into Ravenclaw, and the boy who lived was technically his fellow Ravenclaw, and that meant there was a code. And he goes over, puts a hand on his shoulder, and says, "Witches, go figure, huh?" (laughs) And Harry's delightful line: "Remove your hand before I cast it into the outer darkness." And then he flees too. So then we get, maybe this is why it gave us the date and time. So we made 100% sure this is the same day. This is 12.07 p.m. So an hour and a half after Harry and Hermione's argument. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I think he says that when he does the like, oh shit, where's Hermione? He's like, okay, has anybody seen her in the last hour and a half? Yeah. And so um, it's just lunch with a sparsely populated uh, great hall and Quirrell's stabbing at his soup or whatever, as he usually does. Quirrell's all zombie again. Yeah, Trelawney apparently spilt her soup all over herself and Mr. Hagrid. And uh, um, I guess where does... Oh, yeah, I guess things kind of kick off when... It's pretty fat. Uh, Filch stumbles yeah. in with apparently, like, and, bits of cat on him. It's like gray, something like he's spattered in something gray. Uh, right now, Mr. Filch's brown clothing was disarrayed and soaked with sweat. That's His sweet. ever-present cat was missing. At least, thankfully, I don't think it says that he's covered in cat. No, yet, it, wasn't, it, didn't, it didn't say cat, but it was Oh, my God, yeah, gray. you're right. Small crimson dots as though someone had spattered steak sauce over his face. God, that's, that's right. horrible. Oh, crimson, okay, crimson dots. For some, I guess for some reason, I think it was, like, gray. I'm like, is that, like... So then I guess I thought maybe it was, like, troll goo or something. But no, if it's crimson dots, then, yeah, he's got bits of cat on him. Oh, man. Anyway, I remember bits this in the books where, where Quirrell... Or not Quirrell, where... Uh, what's his name? Filch busts in. He's like, you know, troll in the dungeons. Oh. And this one levels it up to be an extra level of sad where, you know, Mrs. Norris gets eaten, which is devastating. Um, And at the point where Filch breaks in, this is from McGonagall's point of view. And uh, I guess Dumbledore is absent. Yeah. Yeah. He's not. Yeah. yeah, And we talked about that. Like, oh, he's been missing a lot lately. Yeah. I guess he's got important shit to do. I don't know. He's got Dumbledore. He's got too many jobs. It's probably, um, it's probably somehow later in the whole plot outline that's going to be important later. Yeah, he's working on his, I was going to say, like, book or something. I, You know, Stephen, don't start a joke unless you have something to deliver. Come on, <laughs> you know better than this. Um, is that your, anyway, that's so, your internal struggle with yourself? This is where she says, prefects lead your houses back to your dormitories immediately. And then Quirrell is, like, wiping his hands on his napkin, like, as he's no longer zombied. And he says, with respect, madam, you are not an expert in battle tactics. In this situation, it would be wiser to. And this is where she says, I apologize, professor, but sad experience has taught me that on occasions such as these, it is not a good time to take any advice from the current that the current defense professor may offer. (laughs) And so I think it's not even a quarrel thing. This is just the same thing that she's been saying the whole time where it's like, you know, we've had 50 years of a cursed defense position, like. You know what was it? Eighty percent of the time, it's your fault. So I'm not mm-hmm. going to listen to you. Not because I, guess, I, mean, I yeah, think you're Voldemort necessarily. Yeah. There's but like that you're the defense professor. But to me, like at least what I like about it is like it feels like things are getting more like David Lynch weird. That we're like stuck. It, it is becoming increasingly obvious that things are not cool with Quirrell and what the f- and why is everybody ignoring the fact? And so it's making things like more and more surreal. That he's just right there in the middle of everything, and people are like, "Oh my God, there's a troll loose, and it's fucking Quirrell." Like, we don't like it's not Quirrell, Quirrell, because like they're in different places at the same time. But 
Like, clearly, definitely, he's the guy responsible for all this. And it's becoming increasingly obvious that that's the case. And so it's just getting like in a, in a cool way, but like it's now becoming surreal that there's everybody sort of like wandering around blindly, not like realizing the thoroughly obvious, like at least Moody was on the right page thing of like, doesn't anybody see something strange going on here? Especially at, at well, even then, like, like when, said, yeah. he says that every year. Exactly. <laughs> I know. And yeah, I just, I like, because, because that's just such a fucking ridiculous thing for her to say. Well, you said every year cause it's fucking true. And so like, so it's ridiculous, but it's kind of cool how ridiculous it is because I don't know, it's just making the whole thing like, it's like reality's kind of like starting to fray at the edges and the fact that everybody's just sort of like nodding and smiling at the ridiculous situation they're in is starting to make things seem just like increasingly weird, um, which kind of like gives it this almost like it can start to be kind of like um, sinister, like, well, like what kind of bizarre control over everybody's behavior does, you know, Quirrell have? to like he's getting you know more brazen about how obvious it is that there's something up with him and still nobody's like doing anything so it's just it just kind of feels like the wheels are starting to come off the wagon and like nobody's you know clued in so yeah i i think i see what you're saying for me it's more just like uh this you know like at the first week or whatever, they're talking about, oh, yeah, you should have seen last year when the, uh, the defense professor did this and the year before that when the defense professor did that. Like, this is like just the the fact that he's the defense professor puts him on the list of suspects just de facto. Yeah. Um, well, that's, yeah, it's like it the, puts him on the list of suspects and yet not. It's almost like the fact that he's on the like purported list of suspects makes him not actually on the list of suspects. Like if, if people are like wandering, wandering around, like, like, People are in earnest trying to figure out what do we do about the whole Voldemort problem um, while also being like, oh, and the uh, Defense Against the Dark Arts professor is on the suspect list. But like those two like ideas are not connected. Like, oh, my God, what do we do about Voldemort? And by the way, Quirrell is definitely a suspect, but not anything we should do about Voldemort. Like it's, all, it's just getting weird. Man. I think connecting those two dots is a, is a leap that you would be less would be less easy to make unless you had reason to believe it beforehand like if you'd read the canon books like maybe we'll see maybe this will be a well i guess i mean yeah it's just it seems like like the the alternatives are becoming like increasingly less likely but like the needle's not moving at all on anybody being aware of it so it's just where it's, uh, yeah it, I guess to me it just makes it more feel like how, like it's starting to feel almost supernatural in a way that like it's feeling like not sane. The way people are reacting to things is start, starting to feel like, like almost like you're being mind controlled. Like any any normal person, maybe maybe you don't jump immediately to the like oh, and then clearly he's Voldemort. But you'd be like, the fuck is going on here? Um, well, I think right now, especially because McGonagall was there for the um, the deliberation with Moody and Harry and Snape about David Monroe. So she believes that uh, the defense professor, Quirinus Quirrell, quote-unquote, is this legendary hero who disappeared for a while, David Monroe, and he's just dying. Like, she pointed out to to Moody that, like, look, he's been, he's sick. Like, all we know from being defense professor isn't that you're evil and you're going to do bad stuff. We know that you won't teach again next year, right? Mm -hmm. And so he might, you know, he might just die. Like, Lupin wasn't a bad guy he just got fired uh for some stupid fucking reason um 
trying to remember the other defense professors. All the other ones sucked, but Lupin was a good one. Slug, and slug and he horn, didn't Slughorn, Slughorn. Was did he teach? Def, no, he taught potions. Uh, maybe, yeah, he taught maybe. potions. That was the year that Snape taught defense. I can't remember now. I guess that would be like because he was a he was a Slytherin, so I may just be equating Slytherin with defense against the dark arts. In any case, um, the uh, instead of listening to Quirrell, um, he points to a second command in the seventh year army and says, "Hey, t- please advise your head of house." And she points out that, like, hey, look, if we wander through the hallways, we could all be eaten. And there's, she basically lays out like a better battle strategy yeah. is to bunker down here. Um, and so she, McGonagall, capitulates and says, "All right, fair point. You guys hide here. Trelawney, you stay with Professor Quirrell." All you have to do is just verify that you're with him the whole fucking time. <laughs> and uh, then Hagrid gets to stay also and keep the kids safe. So um, their plan, I guess, is to walk around the school looking for the troll. Uh, yeah, I guess they don't. They're vague about that. But yeah, I guess so. I was going to say I looking for Hermione, but know. of course none of them realize. Oh, Hermione's yeah. And we, missing, so at this so. point, we don't know where Dumbledore is until he shows up too late later. Right. Um going all this um so yeah i guess oh uh one thing we had skipped over is like immediately before we get to any of this as soon as um filch comes in and says oh my god there's a troll uh snape stands up very you know undramatically and walks out of the room and we get to see mcgonagall acknowledging like and she knows why that he's going to the third floor hallway oh yeah um to because whatever this is is probably just a distraction so it's like they all know what's up and snape like without having to be told knows that okay you've got to go guard whatever the thing is for sure yeah that's tight i like it um and yeah i I miss that beat just because it's like you said it like that that beat is as subtle as him leaving yeah yeah um so then then we get a line break after the teachers depart presumably to head to the dungeons to go troll hunting and then we go back to Harry and all these little ticks yeah. that break up all the paragraphs They're, I think they're supposed to indicate every time that he could have acted and didn't like, he, I guess I was missing just a step like, every time there's a tick. Uh, I guess, I guess maybe it doesn't happen. Like I, I was just speaking like they're like literal seconds going by and it was just to kind of illustrate like how not necessarily that he's thinking fast, but like how much thing, how quickly everything is going by while Harry's trying to like figure out all the things that need figuring um, that, you know, time is not slowing down for him. um, And that, you know, it keeps advancing in spite of how much he needs that that time pressure. Um, Ah, Yes. Yeah. That's a good way to think about it too. Yeah. Um, It was cool. uh, I was glad I listened to that part in the book because it was a cool effect to have that. Cause I think it's not like, it wasn't like a tick in the audio book. It was kind of more of a, like a, Folk. I mean, it's definitely like a clock sound, but it was a, more of a deep, ominous kind of thunk like sound. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good effect. So all of these is kind of just Harry, like, listening, and, like, there's there's talking among the students, and, um, you know, trolls aren't that scary because you can, you know, the professors could stop it, and um, it kept, like, every, one of the, every once in a while, one of these is, like, and Harry still didn't realize. Yeah. And then... They're trying to figure out, some of the students are trying to speculate about what the defense professor could possibly be trying to achieve by smuggling in a troll. Mm -hmm. And um, whether uh, he was angry that Professor McGonagall had caught him to his attempted distraction and what it was a distraction from. And then the thought hadn't come to Harry 
not until all the students had formed a mass of perhaps a hundred bodies patrolled by proudly grim-looking seventh-year students um, with all their wands pointing outwards, which is kind of cool. You just, like, I don't, th- I don't, I think they explicitly didn't flip the tables and hide behind them, but, like, yeah. that's still kind of what I'm picturing, where, like, oh, you no, just yeah, got she, the... Uh, whoever it was the, that he called on to evaluate the situation explicitly said, like, like the tables are just, like, and the, the troll can step right over them, so just don't let them be in our way. Like they're no good. Right. They're no good for protection. So just don't let them be blocking us. Despite that being explicitly in the text, I still just picture them using them as like, <laughs> uh, like you know, dugout trenches. Like but, but, um, Butch Cassie and Sundance Kid are like duck behind it, like shooting. Exactly. <laughs> and so now, after several of these ticks, that's when Harry wondered where Hermione was. Yeah. And several and ticks just, go like, by while shouts he it looks. Out. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, so several ticks go by while he looks, and then. He's like looking at other parts. He he walks through the crowd, and then he finally like you know asks out loud, "Hermione, are you here?" And now, sorry, go ahead. I was well, yeah. So he does that, but then like I think we have some more like internal dialogue with him. But um, he uh, you know he doesn't hear that, so he just decides like he doesn't care how odd it is or if he's embarrassed by it. But he just shouts at the top of his lungs, like, "Has anybody seen Hermione?" Um, and kind of like, and then there's like a needle scratch and everybody stops and they're like, no, Hermione's not here. Um, so then he knows he's like, oh shit. Um, oh yeah. There's also this other piece of internal dialogue I wanted to get to where he's thinking, um, and then it occurred to Harry that somebody had previously just tried to frame Hermione Granger for m- murder using memory charms, mm. had done so inside Hogwarts without setting off any alarms, and had arranged for Draco to die slowly enough that it wouldn't set off the wards until at least six hours later when nobody could use a time turner to check. And that whoever was clever enough to infiltrate a troll past the ancient wards of Hogwarts without the headmaster coming to investigate the strange creature could be clever enough to also take the obvious step of jinxing Hermione, Hermione's magic items. And then there was a part of him that felt like it was slowly rising panic as perspective shifted, a Necker cube changing orientation. What's a Necker cube? A Necker cube is where you draw like those two, squ- two squares connected by like the corners and like the... The front corner either looks like it's going forward or going back. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So it's like yeah. that, his craning neck is but the... Oh, that's, that's it's called a necker cube. Gotcha. There you go. I'm all kind uh, of... But I like this. It's like, what the hell had Harry been thinking, letting Hermione and Neville be kept inside Hogwarts just because he'd given them a few stupid trinkets? That wasn't going to stop anyone who wanted to kill them. And then this is where he's finally, like, you know, to the point where, okay, fuck being, like, shy about looking stupid. Fuck it. And then he screams at the top of his lungs. And... There's no response of "I'm right here, Harry. It's okay," and that's when they're when shit starts to get real. Yeah, and then so yeah, and then that's where he's like, "Okay, we all." He, he tries to like bust out his you know boy who lived authority. On um, people, was like, "Okay, we have to go find Hermione. Who's going to help me?" And everybody just sort of like uh, in automaton mode is just still in like guard like okay, we're, I'm not going to volunteer to do anything. We're just, we've been told to guard stuff, so we're guarding stuff. Um, and so then Harry has this whole like, okay, what did it, what was it called? Uh, bystander apathy? Yeah. Um, he's like, okay, I need to like call on somebody specifically. So he calls, I didn't, I don't remember the name, but it was the, the same uh, girl that, uh, that Quirrell had called on. He's like, okay, you, you're going to, you know, fly with me on my broomstick and we're going to, you know, go rescue her and like, just bring her, we're just going to fly around. We'll be able to get away from the troll. Um, we'll pick up Hermione and then, um, and then we'll come right back here. So it'll be fine. Um, and then, so she just like gets in an argument with him and they, 
um, and like that. And I think a couple other people, it's basically just like, Oh no, we were told to stay here. Um, so we can't, you know, we can't go do any, we can't have an independent thought about what to do. Um, so Harry's just kind of getting like increasingly frustrated. And then she says, what was her name? I keep, as I'm realizing, uh, Miss Morgan, Morgan, that's right. Um, she's like, well, Mr. Hagrid was always weird to see him referred to that way. Um, Mr. Hagrid's the one in charge. He needs to do it. And so Harry's still trying to be like, you know, in his authoritative mode, he's like, okay, uh, Hagrid, you need to authorize this right now. Um, and that doesn't really work. He's not able to like, uh, get Hagrid to budge. And so then he kind of goes through his like, okay, you know, if no seven years will help me, will any six years, will any fifth years? And he's just like trying, he's basically just trying to shame somebody into, into helping him and it's not working. So he just decides, okay, fuck it. And he's just going to storm out of the, the room on his own. And then, um, Hagrid. I do like the, I like the part before we get to there where he says, sixth years calling all sixth years. Are there any sixth years who aren't worthless cowards? <laughs> And then fifth years, I'm trying to be sensible, damn it. <laughs> like, he, and that's the thing. He's like running out there alone. He's, he's at risk. He's trying to do the smart thing and no one's fucking helping him. So he's, he's understandably getting very pissed. And then that, like you said, that's when he's just going to go start walking out. And uh, yeah, and then Hagrid, so Hagrid tries to block him. And then, uh, and so then it's, uh, he gets uh, sucker punched by Susan Bones. And I, when I saw, when it happened, and then I guess I wasn't clear. Neville also helped. Neville and Ron um, helped. So I wasn't clear on like what exactly they did in order to help that out. But once that happened, it did like strike me as like you know Harry's been this like super motivating, inspirational leader of dwarves um, vibe to him, and that like and then once they did do this i'm like oh yeah this is like the normal mo is like you know harry does some kind of call to arms and everybody's like yes it's the boy who lived let's all get behind him so when this happened it's like okay yeah this is like the normal way uh and it seemed like weird like why why did it take like getting this far before the yes harry we will help you thing kicked in because then you're like oh yeah this would be like neville because neville fucking will throw down when he's needed it's his bones yeah she's badass like yeah, I think the, the interesting thing with Neville is he does the same thing that he does in the canon book where he tries to stop Harry. Did he? And, was he? Oh, uh, was he trying to stop? I see. I got the impression he was that he was no, trying to he, help he him. He gets get in front of him af- uh, after uh, after Haggard gets his beard set on fire. And he oh, says, wait, was that what Ron- Mr. Haggard's right. You can't go. This could all be a trap. They could be after you. Uh, and that's when Ron uh, petrifies him like Hermione does in the canon book. Mm. And then he just he's right behind the fallen Neville and he just says, go. And then you hear like in the background, people are cursing Hagrid and stopping everybody. And Harry grabs his broomstick and almost crashes into the Weasleys, Mm -hmm. the Weasley twins, that is. And this is the The Weasleys were already on the case. They had already like gotten the fuck out. They were were already on it. (laughs) Yeah. And this is the, the fun bit of like dissonance where they're like, there has to be a quick way to find anyone inside Hogwarts. We're sure of it, but we can't figure out what it is. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, why do you think you could find her? And they're like, well, we don't know. We don't just because uh, c- uh, they, and so we don't know. We didn't know explicitly that they'd been memory charmed to forget that. Like, this is us figuring that out. Right. Yeah. yeah Cause yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was funny. Yeah. Cause they're all, it's both that like, okay, they don't know, but they, they keep acting the way you would if you did know. And I guess that was part of what like motivated them to like get, leave the room and start trying to look. Cause they figured that they, that they should know how to find her. Yeah, I think what must have happened, and 
you know, I don't know if this ever gets fully explained or not, so I'm fine speculating, is that they were obliviated of their memory of the map, but not, like, every in- interaction yeah. they had with it. So, like, because that, that would be a lot of missing time, right? So instead, they just, like, remember being able to find their friend when they needed to warn him that Filch was after him or something and this and that, but they can't remember how they did it. So oh, they yeah, walked didn't, out didn't and they're like, oh, yeah, we can find people. And they're like, wait, how do we find people? We and had, they can't remember. We already had this, like, plot cupped to us, didn't we, that, like, it, you can only erase as much, like, the span of time of what you're erasing is significant, so you can't just, like... So something like this, you can't just erase the existence of the map from somebody's brain. That's that's only for false memories. Oh, you can't create yeah. a whole history of false memories. So you can erase yeah. you can erase as much as you want. Presumably, I think you can erase as much as you want. And it seems like you can do it highly targeted. Like so, it wasn't yeah. like you know, forget everything over the last five years. So you guys don't remember having the map. It was just like, hey, remember the map. the map? Now you don't remember the map. <laughs> um, All right then. So they're they're flying around the halls. They. Harry goes straight to the library and uh this is the like this is this is one of the instances where like you might say Harry's being a dick but it's like perfectly appropriate <laughs> um I'm curious what your take is on this actually this one didn't uh no I think probably uh no I didn't get that uh, especially not for this part there's so much less of these few chapters and this definitely much less I think the whole like Harry's being a dick thing when it pops up has a lot more to do with like when Harry's just sort of like when he's being kind of all ego driven, worrying about like his, how he appears to other people and his like, Oh, I'm better than all of you. Um, so again, it's like, it's not so much like levels of anger. It's like what motivate, what's like, what's the motivation behind it? Cause for this, like it was definitely the, the, the vibe was that, like, this is all about Hermione. And so if he's getting all pissed off, at people, but like, it's not about him uh, and it's not about their reaction to him. It's, it's like, um, I have to help Hermione. You're not helping get the fuck out of the way. Um, so yeah, no, this, yeah, it didn't come across that way. Yeah, I guess. And like, he did seem like a little, like he would like kind of fall back to his, you know, arrogant snippy, like, like yes or no. Like if you're going to help me or not. So it was like that kind of like condescending, arrogant thing but because like the drive behind it though is so like focused on like i'm trying to help hermione that that kind of like makes the rest of that stuff not nearly as important yeah i think that the key difference here is that there isn't like time to be nice whereas in many other instances where he's uh arguably being rude like he had nice options like but this one if he were to like try to take time to explain it to her he's burning precious seconds basically he's arguing with the librarian about like is Hermione here and she's like library's closed and he's like this is really important have you seen her yeah. no now go away and do you have any way of contacting Professor McGonagall in emergency huh what's going on yes or no please answer immediately yeah. like this is like so I mean it's it's curt and direct but only because like and know, yeah and there is some like, it is like the hairy flavor like if if he's going to be snippy he's doing the hairy flavor of being snippy which is like you know yes or no you stupid fucking mortal. Um, but I think it's like the, just because the vibe behind it, like the other time when Harry's like that, the times that when Harry's like that and it bugs me, it feels like the, it's more about like the impetus behind it is like just Harry trying to assert dominance or just be awesome. And, you know, like it, they feel like sort of selfish motivations or, you know, just chest puffing. Um, but this one's like way more, 
so I guess it's not it's not so much about like the level of like aggression or whatever coming out of him. It's like like w- what's motivating what he's doing, and because like we can all as this is going on, we're all feeling the same urgency around like oh my god, Hermione's probably being killed right now. Turns out she is. Um, yeah. So yeah. So then yeah, I guess you just like don't really you know care as much about like who is he, you know how is he acting with who. Totally agree. Yeah. I think that it, it, this is like. Again, this is an emergency. Yeah. Like, th- this isn't time to to, to worry about playing yeah. nice. Although I guess, like, if he had just been like, rude later, yeah, if, if he had just been like, fucking not, shut up and point. tell me, like, like <laughs> that probably would have bothered me less because it's at least like less like snooty and arrogant. Like, imagine it's being just like in more the of a raw. Ex- yeah, if and, it's a more like raw and, expression of of irritation and anger, that would just be like more honest. But like getting all like weirdly condescending about it is like sort of bringing. It's sort of like, oh, I'm irritated with you, but by the way, let me remind you that I'm a better person than you. Well, he doesn't actually <laughs> go there. He says in his head, "I'm talking to NPCs again." Yeah, and that's when he well, just so, gives up that, and leaves. Yeah, but, but, but like, it's sort but, of like consistent with the vibe. The when he's going like yes or no, that's like kind of consistent with the same thing about like that's that's how you talk to NPCs. Yes I mean, or I'm no. just imagining like the obstinance that he's facing here, though, is understandably blood, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. blood boiling. Like I'm just imagining being at the office at work and there's a fire and you don't know where the fire extinguisher is. So you run like to the next cubicle or whatever and say, where's the fire extinguisher? And they're like, what's going on? It's like, where is the fire extinguisher? I need to know where it is. There's a fire. Open a what do you mean there's ticket. a fire? Is it big? What's 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 happening? Where is it? It's like, there's not time for this, dude. Like, just fucking tell me. Do you know or not? Like, so I totally get where he's coming from. Just open a support um, ticket. Yeah, exactly. So, so service service now ticket, and someone will take it and get to the fire. Oh when God, it comes. you guys have to use service now too. Oh, fuck. oh God, oh, Jesus. Don't worry. It's it's very seldom at my current job for oh, now. Jesus so. <sighs> anyway, someone people out, some people out there know are hurt. It's um, the sound of the soul leaving your body. This this part is uh, the the part that hits him. Like it says. This, the realization that Harry is being stupid hit Harry like a blow in the stomach. He didn't need a, to, mirrors to send a message. He hadn't needed mirrors since January. Harry slowed the broomstick to a halt, midair in the hallway, his wand already coming to his hand. The driving will to protect Hermione Granger rising to the front of his mind like a sun of silver fire and flowing out his arm as he cried, expecto patronum. And yeah, this is like such Weasleys. a cool scene because it's just like the like that's like Harry consciously saying like, okay, fuck it, doesn't matter. Like, and we don't even really he like. We don't get into his head and watch him like calculating the, you know, eight different possible consequences of blah, blah, blah. And should I do it in 60% chance of blah, 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 blah. He's just like, fuck no, it. Fuck he's like, that. yeah, he's like, okay, no, I got to help Hermione. Bam. And he doesn't yeah. sound. That's pretty, like, yeah, it's so course. sudden with like as much like kind of hemming and hawing uh, as they've done about that. Like there's no preamble to it or whatever. He's just like, oh shit, I could have done this all the time. And he just does it immediately. So, and the devastating cool. part is that he could have done it five minutes yeah, ago. Yeah. And so... Then uh, he says, go to, go to Hermione, tell her that there's a troll and it could be looking for her. And it disappears and comes back and says, Hermione Granger says, ah, and it's horrifying. Time seemed to fracture. And he says, if you know where she is, take me to her. And they go flying through the castle way too fast for safety. And um, this was uh, basically the end of the chapter. Um, they get out to like some terrace out in the sun. I'm not exactly sure. It says they go through a gap in the floor, which makes it sound like it's yeah. possible to fall through the floor at Hogwarts, which makes it sound like super dangerous, but whatever. It's like the important bit was like, we had already been in Harry's head around like, oh, trolls can't be in the sun and Hermione would know that. 
So wherever she would like try to run towards the sun. So I think that's like the, the key bit to that was, ah, uh, we were somewhere where there would be direct sunlight and we find out then it didn't matter because this is, the, the troll has the magical hat of save against sun. Right. And then we uh, get to the next chapter, chapter 89. And that had more time. Just talk. the helm of copper tone. There you go. Okay, <laughs> thanks. We added that together later and pretend I was super clever. Never mind. What was the helm of copper tone? That's what the troll was wearing to keep him from being burned up in the sun. That's at, oh, the, at the end of this. We get to that like, like uh, she should have no, she would have run to the sunlight to escape the troll because that should have killed the troll. Um, but because this troll has extra quarrel fuckery on top of it, um, it was unaffected by the sun because of the helm of copper tone. <laughs> it describes the scene before it tells us really exactly what's going on that there's fire on the ground that only could have, you know, like there's, there's exploded tiles that could only have been cast, you know, only been destroyed by the most prodigious first year, which, mm-hmm. and, um, and then it like, then it describes this big lumpy troll and, and fails and like almost, but fails to, it keeps like, I think he like even cuts it off in the middle of the sentence. It's basically, so Hermione has been bitten in half, but like her legs are gone, but it doesn't actually say that we, it, it's not until Harry comes up to try to, you know, put tourniquets around the stumps of her legs that we figure that out. So, cause it like, I think may have it up, but it like describes the, um, it stops mid sentence short of saying like dropped her into a pool of red something. I think it was. It, yeah. The, the, the troll snorted and spun, spun to face them dropping, dropping. no punctuation into the pool of, into the pool that's the red pool that spread up beneath its feet. So like it, 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 it like just censors Bad. it. That's the H.P. Lovecraft uh, technique of too hideous to be described. So you don't describe it. Love it. Speaking of, check out Lovecraft Country, a TV show on HBO Max. Oh. It's, uh, I can't give it its full pitch here, but it's a lot of fun. Done. Um, It's only, actually, what's today? Tuesday. The 25th? Oh, the second episode is out. Perfect. I know what I'm doing after this. Um, Anyway, uh, sorry. Let's get back to the very serious thing of what's going on here. Um, it describes the troll. It looks like a troll. We've all seen the movies. Um, Harry just kind of walks over to Hermione and says, lead it away. Keep it off me. And the Weasleys are back there kicking ass and taking names. I know. This is cool. We we didn't know coming into this how badass the Weasley twins were going to be, but they were pretty badass. They're pretty badass. And, like, they're, you know, whatever, synergizing their magic in half their spells or whatever to Mm. slow the thing down and at least they're distracting it. Harry's got his medical kit, which he, we remember he had to bully Professor yes. McGonagall into buying. And he like and, injects her with this, that, or the other thing. Uh, yeah, that like, I, and I remember he reached for this when uh, Neville fell off his broom. Mm. It was like the oxygenating potion, oh, like yeah. if he had snapped his neck. Um, but this one, he actually does shoot it into her neck and um, tries to like pump her heart to get it up to her brain. And uh, he's then he's sitting there staring at his medical kit no idea what else to do. And then he hears uh, Delegator Pro Dies, which is what Dumbledore used to summon the sorting hat when oh. he borrowed the Weasleys to uh, borrow the map. And then he just like... Oh, figured, yeah. And then we, we remembered that they had like, they were like, ah, oh, yes, we better remember that. Yeah, we'll file that away in case there's any pranks. But rather than prank it, he just, I forget, whatever Weasley yells, help, do something. And then in the audiobook, it's done perfectly. There's this like you know, wall-shaking scream of Gryffindor from the hat, mm. followed with a pulse of power that actually, like, stops the troll in its tracks. And 
then whichever Weasley whips the hat off and pulls out this dope-ass sword with a ruby in the pommel. Upon the blade is written in golden script, Nihil Supernum. Well, now, and, it, this is supposed to be the, um, that's the Sword of Gryffindor, right? Right. Yeah. Although... No, Nihil Supernum was also in his, like, super short autobi- autobiography that we got the snippet of and at the end uh, of Hermione's okay. arc. I, I go, I'm like, oh, what does that mean? It's like nothing above. I think it is like nothing above, but um, that's not for me. But Nihil Supernum is from HPMOR. Yeah, he actually like crowdsourced what's the best translation mm. for the English version that he had. Um, what was he literally trying to translate? Nothingness above. Nothingness above. Okay. I think. Yeah. yeah, which like in the in the context where we first exposed to like the long longer version of it was like there. Y- ultimate responsibility is on you like no no hero i could i could do the whole thing from memory if i felt like being a super nerd but um basically the 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 gist is there's nowhere for you to pass responsibility to like it's there there's there's no uh there's no mother there's no father there's no the the heavens are empty like the the onus uh, is on you there's nothingness above that's where that comes from and i've been talking a lot so i'll let you take over sorry take out the troll's whole fucking arm with that thing. Um, right. And that's kind of our, uh, we also get to see like this troll would be like, he's hard to fuck with. Cause the, like, so the troll like falls, but it's like immediately like already growing the arm back or something. I it think. was growing everything else back. Specifically the arm didn't grow back. Uh, oh, because of the, is, because is super the sword, Yeah. But, uh, and so then Harry, um, busts out his, uh, so then we get, we start like Harry goes to his dark side um, well, before that, sorry, I don't want to interrupt, but apparently it was Fred who had the sword and he gets smacked as he cuts the troll's arm off. And then George is using some, I guess, pushing spell to just keep like pushing the troll towards the end of the terrace. Mm. And it falls, but catches on and grips, grips into the marble. And George is like passing out. He can't do the spell again. He just says, Harry, run. And then this is where Harry like is kind of going full dark mode yeah. and trying to figure out like intent to kill. Yeah, intent so. to kill, yeah. Think purely of killing. Um, and so, yeah, the wind up for this is that we're assuming he's about to try to, because based on like his whole conversation with Moody, that he's about to try to do Avada Kedavra on the troll. But instead, he does Wingardium Leviosa. Um, I hadn't thought of that. That's awesome. What? That, that, like all that of that? He, that he would- I, I never even occurred to me that he tried oh, to use the killing curse on him. Well, no, because that was also like because that's when we get into Quirrell's head at the end of this. Like that's even that's what Quirrell thought. Like, and at least Quirrell, like Quirrell, gets to like tick off the box at least to be like, oh, he was at least going to. So like, but it was sort of like, aha, my plan is coming together. Well, he yeah, he goes full intent to kill, which is what you need. Yeah, uh, and then he says, think purely of killing. Yeah, like. Yeah, those so are not like even up, think like, purely of saving Hermione. Yeah. He says, think purely of killing. That is the mindset to do the killing yeah. curse. You're right. Yeah, so yeah, that's what we were being... That was, that was the call out there. Um, but yeah, but then I think it's like a, a bait and switch there for us that instead of doing that... But for that, you, I didn't catch it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for all of us smart people, not you mere mortals. Valid. Um, <laughs> that he flicks his uh, his ring into the, what, like into the troll's mouth or something, right? Yeah. Um, and then the ring, which is, is so is that that's like the ginormous rock from his parents. Is that what that one is? Yeah, yeah. that was that was his father's his rock. Father's that crazy Dumbledore rock. gave him on their first meeting. Rock. This this Harry is your rock. Um, so, yeah, so he, fl- he flicks the ring into the troll's mouth and then uh, 
finite incantatum uh, so that it stops being transfigured into a wee thing and turns back into a giant rock inside the troll's head. So the troll's head explodes, um, which still wouldn't be enough to kill it because fuck you, I'm a troll. Um, and so Harry's so the troll's head's exploded, but it's basically like doing like Terminator 2 and kind of coming back together. Um, so Harry walks up to it and sticks his wand inside of its gooey, nasty little skull um, and transfigures a small portion of its brain into what sulfuric acid, I think. Yeah. Um, so then that like kills the rest of it and uh, that, that for truly, truly kills it. Um, and so, so the beast is finally dead. And then Harry, uh, now we have the, the, the classic scene of uh, running up to your wounded friend just in time to watch them die. Um, yep. Uh, and then, so the first words out of Hermione's mouth are your fault. Uh, so we can all go, oh, fuck no. Did um, that freak you out too? I, not really. I mean, A, it wasn't like that long. Uh, no, I guess I saw him like, no, she wouldn't really have said that. See, I, I was terrified. I remember when I first read this. Or, you know what? I might have listened to it first. I can't remember. In it's right case, away. Now like, when I listen to like it. There's like only one sentence between that and like, not your fault. So, Yeah. But like, so she says your fault. And then like, my thought is like, oh shit, she's been like mind whammied again mm. to like fuck with Harry as hard as she can before she dies. Um, yeah, I get that in the but me. that's clearly not what happens yeah. with her. I guess I immediately knew. So I like because I mean, this is it's only like one second between between the two of them. But I guess for that during that second, I was thinking, oh, those might be like. I guess I always thought like, oh, that's not what she meant. I guess I was already thinking like, oh, she meant to say not your fault, but those words didn't come out, and that maybe it was going to be possible that like, oh, she might die, and that that would be what Harry heard, and there would be some kind of misunderstanding around that. So I guess, yeah, that was there for a second, but I, I didn't ever think that that she was going to be like, oh, like, fuck you, this is all your fault. Um, that old oh, Hermione would never do that. I was yeah, worried that like, mind yeah, made Hermione might. Yeah, but, yeah, that hadn't. Uh, yeah. But yeah, th- this is the part that always just hits me like a ton of bricks. And with Hermione's, and it is such a Hermione thing to do. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's dying. She had just been eaten fucking alive. And the last thing she does is comfort her friend yeah. by saying, not Beautiful. your fault. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, we get a, uh, I don't know if cool is the right word. We get, we get a dramatic scene of basically like her soul leaving her body. Um, was that, I, I guess I didn't pick, was that like her trying magic on her own? Or was that, was that just sort of like, oh, I'm a, you know, top tier character. So my death is dramatic or was there, um, did she try that, something? I, I don't get that impression. I think that, um, when they explain how ghosts work early in the book, uh, that it's like an imprint uh, from the violent death of a wizard or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and since her death was particularly violent, like her magic and her being like exploded out of her. Um, oh, so like, I'm guessing this might just be how wizards die. I'm not really, maybe if their deaths are particularly violent, I'm not really sure. sure. But anyway, it's a very intense uh, and heartwarming thing. And... Which is just the signal Dumbledore needs to show up too late. Um, yeah. So yeah, so she dies, then Dumbledore bamps into the room uh, with Fox. Uh, I felt the student die. What's fucking good enough to die? Could you could you felt the student die two minutes before the student died? Um, I guess there's like you know I, I'm assuming that <laughs> you know do do you get emails for flags for things at work like oh the you know the response time on this this endpoint yeah, is really yeah. long or something. 
So I'm assuming like Dumbledore in his head, just by virtue of being the CIS admin of Hogwarts, like gets got an a, alert for I certain things duty. that happens. Exactly. And this one escalates all the way to the middle of his brain that says a student fucking died. And so I should probably have that warn us before. Yeah. I mean, you know, you don't, you don't get the warning that something bad happened until the bad thing happened. Student has lost more than a pint of blood. That would be, we should have alert for that. Student's lost more. Oh, yeah. I remember too that. We'll cover that in the postmortem. Do you remember when. Postmortem. I was going to make a joke, but this isn't funny, Brian. No, it's fine. <laughs> um, do you remember she's not when dead. he I mean, she's he dead, visited, she's not dead. Do you remember when he visited Hermione in the hospital wing after the after the uh, Wizencomat yeah, thing? Yeah. And he tells McGonagall that I will know if any hostile magics are cast on her. Yeah, the fuck? And well, like, explicitly, this isn't a hostile magic cast on her, right? Uh, her death just... was purely physical chomped on by uh it was like explicitly circumventing control. that move i guess so who would have so much inside information like. dumbledore clearly it was, clearly it was dumbledore all along obviously yes. um yeah so so she's dead dumbledore's a bit peeved about it and then we get go through like a very hairy set of like just harry's just not okay he's like no she's not dead like fucking fix her and Dumbledore is like oh no she can't because her soul is blah 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 her soul is departed she's passed on and Harry's like yeah no not gonna work for me uh, you've got some like kind of boy who lived bullshit up your sleeve that you were gonna use when this happens to me fuck you do it now um, and Dumbledore's like eh, no we don't really uh, so sorry she's dead um, and so Harry's like yeah no so what does Harry say no I do not accept this there isn't any reason to accept it, not when there's magic in the world. Harry would learn whatever he had to learn, invent whatever he had to invent, rip the knowledge of Salazar Slytherin from the Dark Lord's mind, discover the secret of Atlantis, open any gates or break any seals necessary, find his way to the root of all magic and reprogram it. He would rip apart the foundations of reality itself to get Hermione Granger back. So I like that was a very like hairy response to it. Of like the like complete loyalty and also just like yeah no, I reject your reality and substitute and it with will, my own. I will reshape my own. Yes. Yeah, that uh, that always hits me hard. Yeah. Like that, this is, I think, what it's like to lose a love, lose a loved one. And like, if you had the power, you know, if the power was possible, which you know, because this is where he says that there's not re- any reason to accept this. Not when there's magic loose in the world. You know, if this if this was, you know muggle earth then it's like fuck this just sucks you have to accept it but harry's and so harry's falling into that thought pattern at the beginning and then he says no wait fuck that i've got options i will like i i i'm an 11 year old with a stick and i can you know violate the laws of physics what can i do with all the power in the world i can fucking fix this i would rip apart the foundations of reality itself to get hermione granger back i like this remind this is what i talked like the first time when like harry discovered the uh his uber patronus and like what I like this is super sort of abstracty uh, defiance against the the concept of death and how I thought that was just a little like really mechanical like this is it like this is up in Harry's face like it's not oh death is bad and therefore I should try to defeat it for the goodness of humanity it's like no this is my fucking friend Hermione Granger who's like the only other human on the planet I'm capable of being a human with and you just killed her fuck you I'm not okay with death we're gonna fix that um so yeah, that's pretty Yeah, cool. totally. Yeah. And we also found that that thought was uh, sufficient to fuel the Patronus too. Yeah. Um, so it 
kind of worked both ways. Um, so yeah, uh, that's that scene, which was awesome. It was good. you know impactful. There's maybe a better word for it. And then we cut to the defense professor. This was cool. This was very weird. Um, yeah, this is a cool few chapters because just like I guess we decided like we as readers are going to be able to see more now. Um, so because we're we're in Coral's head for the first time. Um, so he says the cross says the crisis is over. You may dismount, madam, because um, he's been uh, hauling Trelawney around, pretending to be helpful. Um, and so she gets off, and yeah. And so then we just we're like we're we're in Quirrell's head, and we get to see, and we are in Quirrell's head, and we get to find out that Quirrell has been in Harry's head. Because um, says the defense professor had felt the boy's horror through the link that existed between the two of them, the resonance in their magic and had realized that the boy had sought the troll and found it. The defense professor had tried to send an impulse to retreat, to don the cloak of invisibility and flee, but he'd never been able to influence the boy through the resonance and hadn't succeeded that time either. He'd felt the boy give himself over fully to the killing intention. That was when the defense professor had begun burning through the substance of Hogwarts, trying to reach the battle in time. He'd felt the boy exterminate his enemy in seconds. He'd felt the boy's dismay as one of his friends died. He'd felt the fury the boy had directed at some annoyance who was likely Dumbledore, followed by an unknown resolution whose unyielding hardness even he found adequate. With any luck, the boy had just discarded his foolish little reluctances. Um, so yeah, it was cool. So I, and I guess I mean I guess what's nice like we never right like everything we see from Coral, we're having to just sort of decide how true it is. Uh, but this one, like we are in his head. So unless uh, Yudkowsky just decided to completely upend how narration works. Um, like we could take this like okay this is what's really going on for Quirrell and we never get to see any like kind of unvarnished like you know absolutely reliable indication of what's going on in his head Um, and he just straight up like drops and confirms like through the link that existed between the two of them like so that's no longer implied that's a thing um, because of the residence in their magic Um, so it's kind of like kind of a big deal that a lot of this stuff is just being laid down um, it does sort of imply, but doesn't nail down that like he wasn't up to this. I don't believe that at all. But I guess it's, I mean, it's not like he was like directly had his um, hands on the steering wheel of the troll. Um, he, explicitly, it doesn't say, aha, my plan succeeded. Yeah. Um, you know, and the, in his own mind, the, I mean, I guess for us, how it is, um, unseen by anyone, the defense professor's lips curved into a thin smile. Despite its little ups and downs, on the whole, this has been a surprisingly good day. So by surprisingly good day, kind of could mean that this was a happy accident that just happens to work in his favor. If you really squint, which I am fully oh, just okay saying good that day. when I was reading this the first time, I fully squinted. And uh, I'm like, okay, yeah, you know, he, he didn't mean for this to happen, but he's happy it did. Um, like, you know, it's the other thing that we get here... Um, so from Harry's point of view, like the resonance is just this sense of doom. And of course the explosive pain that happened when he, when their magic's touched in Azkaban. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently Quirrell, it's more fine tuned. He can feel Harry's emotions yeah. really wherever he is and apparently locate him. Yeah. Cause he's flying to where the battle is. I wonder if that's cause I mean, Quirrell must know like whatever it is, Quirrell knows what it is with Harry. It's just this like thing that he, whose only existence he only just sort of like discovered on his own and he doesn't know like what it means or what it's about. But, and for all we know, like 
it may be there because Quarrel put it there, so who knows? But he would definitely know more about what the deal was. Yeah, but the other part that like I'm like, well, what does that mean? Was um, how did he put it? Uh, when the defense professor, oh wait, uh, he felt the boy give himself over to the killing attention. That was when the defense professor had begun burning through the substance of Hogwarts. Like I wasn't like, what does that mean? That's what he was trying to get to Harry as quickly as possible. But was he like literally like boring through walls or like what's up? With that? Sure sounds yeah. like it. And then like, what did Trelawney think about that? And, um, Apparently she's freaking out. Uh, um, when, when she gets off, she's breathing in gasps and trying not to throw up. <laughs> And and that's like the because the last sentence is like that's more prophecy coming from Trelawney, right? Because the last sentence yeah. is all caps. He is here, the one who will tear apart the very stars in heaven. He is here. He is the end of the world. Um, so that that's worth digressing it on its own. I'll, I just really quick as far as him burning through the castle. It does say that um, she pulled herself and sat down on the floor, a pace away from the glowing red edges of a newly made gap in the wall. Oh, okay. so apparently, it was yeah. literally burning his way through the castle. All right, all right so this prophecy. What do we know about prophecies and oh, yes. the, so the people that need to hear them would hear them? That is exactly where I was going to eventually get. So well done. <laughs> um, this is a prophecy for Professor Quirrell. And uh, oh yeah, so and it, but it's only Quirrell and Trelawney in the room, isn't it? This isn't right. Uh-huh. I don't think that series ever made prophecies for themselves. In fact, uh-huh. I get the this isn't confirmed in HPMOR, but it is in canon that the prophecy oh actually it is confirmed here when um hermione is talking with one of the was millicent bulstrode that like seers don't remember their prophecies because yeah. the prophecies aren't for them yeah, yeah. that's about like when this is done like trelawney maybe doesn't even know what she just said to coral he's here the one will tear about the very stars in heaven who knows except he is i guess it's not saying he just came here but maybe he's been here the whole time so what's interesting is that the this is very similar to the fragment of prophecy we got earlier. Yeah, was, I'm assuming you've pulled that. What was it? He is coming, the one who will par- who the one who will tear apart the very and that's all oh, we get. Stops. Okay, so he is coming and now he's here. Oh, so who got here since before? Um the troll. She's talking about the troll. Yeah. Obviously. The troll who will tear apart the very stars in heaven. Um, hmm. So it's Jesus. She's talking about Jesus. No, she's talking about the Antichrist. He is. And I think even in the on the Sunday morning breakfast, like you hear what might be the start of an S before Dumbledore nabs her away. And I think someone in Discord must have pointed this out to me. Um, that like, because the temporal pressure of the prophecy wasn't relieved properly, because she didn't get to prophesy in front of whoever she's supposed to prophesy in front of mm-hmm. that. Like the pressure was still there for this prophecy to happen again. Um, something, I don't know. Time is weird. Um, I wonder about, yeah, he is, he is coming versus he is here. Who has shown up in between then? I don't know that they, like we've had any new people. Have we? Something super obvious that I'm just forgetting right now. I don't, especially she just said, it feels like, Oh, it would have been somebody that just showed up. It, it, you know, Prophecies are, how does Dumbledore put it? I'll grab the exact words just so I can be as cryptic as possible. Um, prophecies are, prophecies are strange things, vague, unclear, meaning escaping like water held between loose fingers. Prophecy vague is enough to burden, drive any kind of meeting into them that you need after the fact. Exactly. <laughs> um, prophecies are a cold reading. I yeah, sense you're going through a time of great change. Yes. 
uh, fortune will favor you eventually. Are you kidding? That's uh, somebody whose name starts with a J or has a an O in it, or Cold maybe an A. Is a hilarious joke. <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah, this chapter ends with a dope ass prophecy. So. Why not hear my prophecies? Yeah, I guess I'm mostly I'm trying to figure out like okay, like who was who was somebody was coming and now they are here. Like who could that be? I know. Maybe it's the Quizzo Tetrarch. The sleeper has awakened. What's the what was that that's, reference? Uh that's uh Dune. It's Paul Paul Atreides when he becomes the uh the Messiah of Dune. Is the they call him the Quizzo Tetrarch. And uh, the dream he had had up to that was the sleeper must awaken. And then once he realizes that he's the Messiah, he says, Father, the sleeper has awakened. So, yeah. Nice. Nice. That's a good good movie. That's that's like my canonical example of see the movie before you read the book. And you'll enjoy both. Which movie was it? Dune. Oh, Dune. Okay, yes. Yeah. For some reason, I, I was still uh, like anchored on Lovecraft. Mm. All right. I will check out the Dune movie here shortly. David Lynch. Speaking of David Lynch. Oh, is that him? Yeah, very out of character for him. And apparently, very disappointing to me, a uh, movie that David Lynch would like to disown. He does not like it, which kind of, I don't know, maybe that's just David Lynch trolling the world like he likes to do. But yeah, he said he regrets having done it. I guess because they, they had had some other director that was supposed to do it at first, and then he took it over. But I guess he didn't like the end product. I think it's great. I think that, I mean, if I ever made something... And I wasn't stoked on it. If people liked it, I'd be like, I'm glad I made it. I would never disavow yeah. a thing I made if people enjoyed it. Uh, I might say, I wish I could have done it better. People, more people would like it more or something. But yeah. come on, David, people enjoy it. Yeah. And he's always been like cagey about it, too. He's just a, he's a weird dude on purpose. Uh, well, I guess that leaves us with trying to decide next week's reading here. So um, I didn't actually get the time to do my usual read ahead and carefully craft it. But a quick skim tells me that these are short chapters yeah. and that chapter 93 seems like a good spot to end on because it gives us plenty. And I'm guessing that'll give us enough to talk about. So, so all the way I think for next week, yeah, we'll do chapters 90, 91, 92, and wow. 93. I think this is the most chapters we've done since the first five. Uh, yeah, that could be. I haven't been keeping track, but I think I think the max we've done before this is three. But these are four short yeah, chapters, and I really feel like uh, chapter ninety three has a good final note in it that is also um, awesome. So nice. Yeah, it's a good thing right. we did three chapters. Yeah, we're, we're clocking in fast on this one today. Yeah, yeah so, like a lot, a, uh, a lot. I don't know. Actually, I don't know if you would say that it was a lot. Having it's very cool and a lot of. Uh, it was a fairly decent word count, but. It was just fast-paced enough. There wasn't as much to talk about. This yeah, big stuff happened, big stuff, but not like lots a, of stuff. Yeah. yeah, the story did a really good job. I think telling all the stuff it needed yeah. to tell. Yeah, I really like these chapters this week because a like Harry stopped being a dick, so that's always nice. Um, oh come on! <laughs> but yeah, but it also feels like Yudkowsky just decided to like like oh we, we're we're going to new places now, and it, like he just changed the rules on us and uh, for how much he's decided to let us see. Um, and yeah, shit just got real, yo. Man. Shit got real. But yeah, I guess I, I, I can understand being all broken up, but I guess I don't even really know why. Like, I just don't buy this as like the end of Hermione. I guess I'll be like double extra disappointed if this really is the end of Hermione. And then I was just all kind of blase about it right now. But maybe I'm just in like the first stage of grief. I'm in the denial stage. I'm going to go with that. <laughs> 
I mean, I think for me, you know, like this is just uh, I, I, I really feel like this writing came from the heart and like no, I really, it yeah, definitely no, I hit me right in the heart. Yeah. And, you know, whether or not like, you know, because I mean, I, I'm convinced she's dead, especially, you know, at, at, at this point in the reading. When you've even and, read the whole thing and you think she's dead. Oh, she must be dead. Oh man, I just gave it away. Damn. No, I really like. No, I, I really like the like because they were both super, super. Like we sort of got to see again the like what we like best about the relationship between Harry and Hermione, um, and then we get to see sort of a very like it's both very it's very Harry and in very Harry in a good way of his reaction of just like yeah no I'm not okay with this outcome. Um, and just like kind of digging his heels in the sand and just going like, no, like she's dead, but I'm not okay with that as an answer and we're going to fix it. Um, so yeah, they're both like very kind of intense and sincere and yeah, it was good. I liked it. Yeah. All I was saying is that textually she seems dead as fuck. Well, I know. I, I mean, she's dead. I just thought like dead's such a, you know, that's not as binary as, you know, she's only mostly dead. <laughs> um, Actually, now yeah, that we're kicking I, that around, this, this seems like a good tie into the whole like death, deathism, blah de blah, blah. Like, oh, your ideas of what death is is arbitrary and yada yada yada. So, yeah, there's plenty plenty of room here for this to be a, a thing. I, would say. I mean, especially there's magic, but I, all I'm saying is like, I, I this I, I wasn't, and now you don't know if I'm playing three or four dimensional chess on you. Yeah, you're not that smart. But at at the, <laughs> all right, coming in hard. Uh, at this point in the reading, um, whether or not this opinion changed going forward through the book doesn't matter. As far as I'm concerned, Hermione Granger died. And, you know, I've been raving about how much I love her this whole fucking time. So it hits me hard. Yeah, I don't, I don't even but, know why I'm like, maybe I just I just don't accept it. So I'm not broken up about it because it didn't happen. Didn't happen. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, well, and well, like totally the theory I'm just going on is like only that we are not done with the concept of Hermione Granger. And that does not necessarily mean that she comes back to life in order for that to happen. So I could totally be wrong, but I mean, yeah, I'm, at least what I think is still missing could totally be like filled in by the like long hologram uh, recording that where she finally says the things that put Harry in just the right blah, blah, blah. And then I'm going to feel like an asshole. But <laughs> I guess <laughs> well, like Harry is, I guess that's the bit like, I still feel like Harry is going to change somehow based on something having to do with Hermione and that hasn't happened yet. Um, so I guess it wouldn't necessarily mean that she has to be alive again for it to happen. But if it seems like, but it would have to, I mean, something like the personness of Hermione is not done, which I mean, could be something, I mean, basically like either time travel or recording or something like her being an agent of the plot doesn't feel like it can be done, but it, that doesn't necessarily mean that she's not really dead. So I don't know. Yeah, you know, it just occurred to me, he does have a time turner. Oh, yeah, is that too? But, that would be just like, you fucking can't, you, like, I, you can't I'm going to go, like, if that's the, it, I'm like, I don't think that would be it, because that would just be fucking lame. I don't think, like, it, that would, you, be it would be lame. fucking lame. Like, Yudkowsky would think it was lame. He would, like, cancel his own book for doing it. <laughs> and we established that the, you know, universe is coherent forwards and backwards. Oh, like, he, he can't make... Like he can't change things. That's yeah. even McGonagall. Like when she's giving it to him, she's like, "What? You can't change things, Mister Potter. What if students tried to change their test scores?" <laughs> uh, so, like, yeah, it's probably not gonna be that easy. Whatever. I, I loved it. I don't have much else to say on it. Um, uh, let's see, postscript stuff. Don't forget, we will have voting open. Uh, link in the show notes for how to vote and. 
everyone gets to enjoy the fan art that happened, and that's exciting. And the winner will be announced next week. And next week we'll also be covering chapters 90 through 93. Is that what I said? Yes, four chapters. Yes. Yep, perfect. All right. See you back here same time, same place next week, everybody. Hi, everybody.